Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm here. I'm Ben Hansen, and I'm not alone. I'm joined by Serial Vasquez. Hello. Welcome, Serial. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I like being here. Today, Thank right you. now. In yes. so many ears around the world. That's Thank right. you. Uh, Kyle Hilliard. Uh, hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, and no, Jake. No robot voice this episode, in theory. In theory. theory. We'll see how it goes. Changing up the recording process a little bit. Uh, and Jacob Geller. Hi there. Jacob Geller, you've been on before. Yes? Yes. Yes, I was on the Deepest Dive. That's for right. Edith for Finch. What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, former Game former intern, video essay extraordinaire. We had a standalone video all about your video essays as well. What is that wonderful YouTube channel where you do so many amazing things? It's called Jacob Geller, just like me. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, I watched... I've seen a lot of your video essays, and I watched uh, a recent one of yours uh, all about ugly, ugly games, which was just yes. like, you are the master, Mr. Geller, of not only YouTube views, but you're the master of an amazing headline. And seeing that is just so perfect. And it goes back to Jeff Gersman's opening line in his review for the first Kane and Lynch, where he called it an ugly, ugly game, which mm-hmm. is amazing on Gersman's part. But then it's also amazing on your part, the fact that you remember that or that stood out to you years later and you're like, you know what? I'm going to use that framing of ugly, ugly games to now talk about Kane Lynch and Max Payne and just that gritty era. And it perfectly encapsulates all of that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was it was kind of serendipitous. Blake Hester and I have been of of Game Query and also a guest. Uh, we're talking about Max Payne three on a podcast that we were doing, and and we were talking about potentially doing Kane and Lynch next. And he was actually the one who brought up the whole Gerstmann thing, which I was somehow not aware of. And then I started looking into wait, and I was like, like the oh Gamespot thing you didn't know about? Yeah, no, I I oh just like I think I think I was so especially as a kid I was so into game informer that i like blocked out all other game news sites and so i just didn't hear about it and then i was like this is a story i mean there was there was a penny arcade comic and everything right the oh, world penny was arcade, talking about my it, favorite man. comic no, that was a huge deal. it was so weird like you know i love GameSpot. that era of GameSpot i wasn't as into um but i liked earlier GameSpot, and so that was the big thing too is that being a huge fan of one up is like all the one-up employees I remember went out and like protested outside the building during that moment as well. If you're not familiar, it's because Jeff Gersman uh, was pressured and and left his job ultimately because he gave Kane and Lynch a 6.0, and then the ad people at CBS at the time came down and said, eh, Which, "Having not played so much. Kane and Lynch recently, uh, a generous score." <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine it's aged well. But anyways, uh, check out Jacob Geller's YouTube channel, please. On this episode of the MinMax Show, we're talking about. New IP. Jacob Geller, you're a fresh voice in the industry, so in this episode we're going to unpack some fresh games in the game industry this generation. You're our new the IP. highs and lows. Hell <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we're going to get to community questions later on. Leo's going to be joining us as well. That should be fun. Um, but a lot of people might be wondering, why aren't you talking about the Xbox showcase, the Microsoft showcase? Uh, we recorded this before that aired. If you want to see our reactions and thoughts on that overall, uh, please check out MinMax's YouTube channel will have a reaction video. Uh, it'll be a lot of Kyle screaming about Halo Infinite, all that good stuff. Um, I will be out of town, so I won't be on that, but we have Leo in charge of everything. It's going to be great, and I think all the other cohorts are going to be joining for that, so it should be a good time. And then we'll obviously unpack those games and everything that they revealed uh, on the next episode of the MinMax show as well. Um, so earlier this week, not quite the game's showcase, but Microsoft released a ton of game demos 
on Xbox One. Did anybody get a chance to check out any of those? I I haven't. There are 70. I think more it's, than 70, right? I know. It's overwhelming. It's fun to see people in the MinMax Discord kind of unpacking it as they go and figure out what the highlights are. When I tweeted out like, hey, what do you recommend? Uh, it seems like a game called Chris Tales came up a lot. And so I checked that out. There's a free demo that's on Steam. It's been on Steam for a while. It will continue to be on Steam, I'd imagine, even after it's pulled down from Xbox. Um, but it's a really cool retro... Well, to call it retro is maybe a stretch. It's an RPG in the vein of a Paper Mario meets Persona. Like Persona UI, Paper Mario mechanics uh, in terms of combat and timing in combat. And then just like this overall vibe of Beauty and the Beast out of the gate. It's a really unique RPG that's coming out later this year from a new team. Uh, And it's just gorgeous. And it does this really cool thing too where it splits the screen into thirds so you can see the past, the present, and the future. So everywhere you're running, the screen's following you. So you're always in the present. But then if you just look off to the side, you can see like what's going to happen to these buildings and people in the future or where they came from in the past. It's a really cool mechanic. And it's one of those things that I was enjoying the demo so much. I'm like, I got to stop because the idea of like playing through this twice, I'm not sure about. But once the game comes out, I definitely want to check it out. Uh, Chris Tales was the name of that one. Um, let's see. How's everybody else doing? Jacob, what have you been playing lately, man? Uh, I've been playing, we were talking about it a little before the show, a lot of Hades, the super giant roguelike that's been in early access for uh, a year and a half now, maybe? I I can't remember. Time has no meaning. But it's it's been out for a while now, and I bought it when it was first available, and then just every kind of six months or so, I found myself going back and sinking a lot of time into it. And now it's almost done. Uh, The 1.0 update is coming soon so it's not quite uh it doesn't have a bow on top of it yet but yeah it feels incredibly polished there's a lot of content there and it's just it's so fun like it's a really fun game that's the thing yeah we played it for the great goaty hunt it's one of those games that i've dabbled in here and there and it's one of those that's like i can't wait to sink my teeth into it i'm waiting for the right time and it seems like now might be the right time for buying it on pc at least epic game store or steam because they Mm -hmm. had their big content update but it's not quite 1.0 so you can still feel super cool once the game goes 1.0 being like i knew it all along yeah, it, it's hard to imagine, based on where it ends now, I mean, it ends with you fighting Hades, and, and it, because it's a roguelike, it's like, well, that's, you know, then then you just kind of start over again. And the they have kind of a funny thing where, like, you know, you eventually beat this big boss, and then the voiceover's like, uh, Zagreus thought he was walking out to his freedom, but actually he walked into a cleverly painted wall to look like a tunnel. And then it just shows the, like, you died, and then you go back to the beginning. And so it's clearly, like, there will be an ending there at some point, and it's not there yet, so they're still kind of messing around with it. Right. But content-wise, I mean, I have played, I think, 45 hours of it or oh, whatever, wow. and I still feel like there's a ton to go. So it's a it's a big game already. Yeah, it's do you super think, exciting. It feels so do good. Do you think too. that the, there's like a, a narrative kind of theme that like do you see where the ending might be going? Do you think like there's a story that the game is trying to tell? That's that's the one kind of question mark I have about it. And it's weird from Supergiant because I feel like usually they have been incredibly good story games with surprisingly complex gameplay systems, but that's always like the the second part of it. And and Hades is like amazing fun complex gameplay first and then there's there are a lot of characters and they're all well written but because of the roguelike format it doesn't 
nothing feels like it's really progressing that much. You know, I just, like, learn a little more about each character every time I die, but it, I can't imagine what, like, an emotional climax of the game would be. Uh, so I'm curious. They they might pull it off. They're really good at doing this kind of stuff, but for right now, I can't really imagine what it would be. Yeah. Speaking of new IP, though, I mean, you got to give it up for Supergiant. Just nailing it with every entry so far. Just, hey, here's a bold new vision. Hey, here's a bold new vision. And just batting damn near a thousand at this point it's wild it's it's crazy how good all their their games are yeah okay so in this episode we're gonna unpack this is complicated our favorite new ip of this generation with an emphasis on potential to be prolific you know fertile ground for the future because i don't want to jump to your list or anything kyle but something like inside awesome new ip not exactly you know sprouting new life for generations to come, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, thank God. I think it might have also made it on my list anyway. (laughs) We'll see. Well, it didn't have that sequel inside out. Yeah, that's true. It already sold out at that point. During our limbo stream, Hanson, somebody suggested inside two colon outside, which I think would be pretty (laughs) good. It's brilliant, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was the 10th anniversary of Limbo. If you want to watch Kyle and I play, it's on our Twitch channel. You can follow us there. Otherwise, it'll be up on our YouTube channel. I think on Friday, it's going to be airing over there. Um, And so trying to find the dividing line for the generation is a little bit rickety because you got... 3DS handheld, kind of complicating things, but we maybe won't focus too much on that. It's not exactly a hotbed of new IP. And then the PC arena, it's like, well, maybe like fall 2013, holiday 2013 when the new consoles launch. It's like a nice clean dividing line for PC overall. But trying to come up with the ground rules for new IP is trickier than you think because you just realize how many times something is connected to some franchise and you really need to look back or stand back and appreciate those games that really are coming from nothing. It's weird to think that we are near the end of the generation. It's almost there. I feel like with Ghost of Tsushima releasing last week, it is a little bit of like, okay, as far as we know, is that the last big new IP for this generation? There's going to be some cross-gen stuff that we're looking forward to. You know, stuff like Gods and Monsters, whatever that's renamed to, stuff like that. But did you guys have any reflections on the generation as a whole? Or when you're trying to put your list together, did anything stand out in terms of just broad philosophical thoughts on this generation's new IP? I mean, there weren't... I, I feel like I didn't come across any like anything comparable to like Mass Effect or something, where it was like a, a trilogy, you know? Like, in, like mm. within one generation, like a big, you know, multi-years game-spanning story. I feel like... Of all the ones I looked at, like the most I we got were like maybe one or two sequels that were both pretty standalone with no like intent. There, no one had the confidence to be like, "This is true." That we're starting this as a trilogy. I feel like we didn't see a lot of that this generation. You know, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it has to do with the shift being more towards oh, let's let's make this series and and plan out like multiple games, assuming this is going to be successful, and more around here's this single entry that is going to go on forever. You know, like the 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 Dawn of the, like the live game in a lot of ways kind of um, made it difficult for people to plan games as like multiple game like series or arcs because we, we saw some of them but like the mo- the games that stand out most this generation in terms of popularity are games that are people are just still playing the, the, the first game released during that generation. Yeah, that's true. I also felt like and this this might be true of previous generations and I just haven't kind of inspected it as clearly but a lot of my favorite games 
from this generation were ones that I feel like are totally standalone and I didn't include on this list because I was like, there's not going to be a sequel and I don't want one. You know, like like Outer Wilds is not on this list, even though that is a new IP and is probably one of my favorite games of this generation. But like, it's good, you know, just I'm, I'm excited to see what they make next, but I would be surprised if it was Outer Wilds 2 and I don't necessarily want that. Right. It seems like it's that weird mix of safer bets from bigger publishers and then indie games where it's like, hey, we're going to make a quick, not a quick, we're going to make this bold one off. Something like a Night in the Woods. You would never call mm-hmm. Night in the Woods mm-hmm. like ah, a budding new franchise. I mean, maybe they'd go back to it. I know that complication is a little bit, or that situation is a little bit complicated. Um, <laughs> but I think there's so many strong one-offs this generation coming from that indie space or even the large indie space. You know, it's a weird fusion of combining those two for the yeah. look of the generation as a whole. I also wonder to what extent because we when we I think about like the games that come from this generation, it's just a lot of studios that people know versus franchises so like you look at something like horizon zero dawn and that's like that has a legacy of kill zone um but it i think a lot of people are just more kind of into the idea of like let these studios who made games that we really like just make whatever they want and so maybe there's a lot of attention shifting from franchises uh to developers of like well just do the thing that like impress us with something else versus like you know, make this series that goes on forever and ever, right? Something, yeah, even like, you know, you think of Supergiant, which you mentioned before, or even something like Don't Not. I feel like there's a fair amount of, I'm just a Don't Not fan now. Whatever they do in the future, was it Twin Mirror, whatever it is, like, we're on board for, you know? Vampire, yeah. sign me up, please. Or even something like Respawn, right? Like, that, that yeah. they're a company that formed around this generation and made the Titanfall series, but, you know, like, the a- Apex is in that world ostensibly, but it feels very much like a new franchise in a lot of ways, and so it's just, but it's like, people are happy that, that Respawn, like, people are more excited about the idea of Respawn Respawn than they are maybe Apex in a lot of ways. Yeah, Respawn's one of those developers where, you know, you look at somebody like a rock star where they got one game out this generation, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, just Red Dead Redemption 2. And then you compare mm-hmm. that to somebody like Respawn, which was formed, released four games and several of them quite good. I'd argue most of them quite good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I think they might be secret powerhouse of the generation here when you look at actual output from these developers. Yeah, I mean, like, in a way, GTA defined a lot of this generation having, you know, being a re-release in a lot of ways, right? Where people yeah. are just like, oh, why don't we just do... Like, it's way easier to, to make you good on these assets that we spent a bunch of money making if we just release kind of smaller smaller new assets but basically give you another excuse to go back to this giant thing we made yeah. sorry i thought gta 5 was a ps5 game that was the first trailer <laughs> yeah, that's in the true. Reveal, yeah, yeah, yeah so <laughs> it's it's the new ip every generation <laughs> <laughs> okay so we have top fives here's how, here's how it's gonna work we're gonna go around we say our number five choice one at a time right if somebody takes your choice early on, have that discussion then. Don't wait and then be like, mine was also number two, and here is why. Um, you get the idea. Uh, Sergio Vasquez, what is your fifth favorite new IP from this generation? Uh, I was Yeah, I was looking through all of my like top tens, and I realized how many of them are, are franchises. But it's weird, because like, this one is basically inspired by another franchise, uh, Wargroove. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of potential there because I think um, as much as I like Wargroove, it definitely is riffing on Advanced Wars 1. 
uh, in that you can you can map all of the units in that game to the first advanced wars, but they don't have any of like any of uh, uh, the the units or the systems that they introduced in the in the sequels. And I don't think that they would take the same approach to like, okay, well now you have neo tanks in the second one, like or the equivalent or whatever. But I think that uh, Wargroove was a game that's like, hey, we're gonna make a game that that is like that game you like. And I think from there, um, they have a really strong base to say, well, because we have these like fantasy elements and a lot of the units have spells, we can start going uh, uh, like down our own path with the expectation that you already like this version of the game, of Advanced Wars, basically. And so now we can start branching out a little bit and kind of introduce new concepts. So I, I, I would love to see them take another crack at uh, Wargroove. So more, more based on it mechanically than the fiction. Right. Yeah, because like the fiction is like I I like the story in Wargroove, but it wasn't like if they completely recontextualize it and say like here's another character, here's another story, or like if they move forward in time or something, uh, that wouldn't necessarily like bum me out. But but it's like more about I, I see the potential here. I want to see them take more of their own spin on the concept versus just recreating, you know, like the, the game that they're inspired by. Yeah, it is funny going through like new IP of the generation a lot in that kind of arena realm in the indie scale i guess you could say it's so funny that's like okay it's excited to be it's nice to be excited about new ip and then soon you look at it and it's like oh a lot of it is going for a clone right going for mm-hmm. we're going to take advanced wars and improve it and make it our own totally fine but it is that thing of like okay leaning on another ip but still new ip it counts for this generation damn it right yeah uh kyle do you have a number five yeah i mean how'd you how'd you feel about wii u in that list did you put uh I don't have any Wii U games on my list, but like I debated it. You know, Devil's yeah. Third was right on the cusp, <laughs> but I think I think you include it just to get kind of yeah. recentish memory, right? Because like Splatoon was 2015, and that seems like a that, shame not to include for this type of discussion. That was the one that's like on my because I think of, I'm sure we all did it similarly, where I put together a big list of yeah. all kinds of new IP and then just kind of picked out five. Um, so I hope I hope we get a chance to kind of go through some of our lists in that regard after all this. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to unpack, and I want to like yeah. give uh, scores to all the publishers as well for this generation. I have it all mapped oh. out. Cool. Right. Um, yeah, so my number five is the, I guess you could, it's a franchise, I guess, is the Ori franchise, I guess would be the shorthand. Mm. The hot franchise. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's two entries on this single generation, which is, I feel like, becoming kind of... Rare? I guess not really. I guess the big annualized games are still coming out at a nice clip, but like, yeah, I mean, I really love both Ori games, and I would love to continue to exist within that world. There's more... It's The way those games are structured is like there's a lot of story up front and sort of an emotional finale at the end with a lot of gameplay in the middle, Yeah, and I feel like that's like a good system, and there's a lot more to explore within that world, and yeah, those those games are great. I think those are, in terms of like, if I look at the last maybe even decade of like the best metroid inspired games i think ori is my favorite maybe yeah, yeah it's just on my honorable mentions as well um with i i agree the kind of surprising caveat of like there weren't a lot of them like not a lot on my list had just like this game too you know it was yeah. it was hard to find so the fact that ori started this generation even though it felt like there's a huge gap between them like the will of the wisps i felt like was coming for like four years um, it kept getting delayed yeah yeah the fact that that fact that they're both out and both really great and it seems like microsoft is just going to continue to like bankroll that series right like it, it does well so. for them yeah it's that weird realm of it's attached to 
Microsoft, obviously, it's released on Switch as well, that first game at this point. Um, but still no PS4. Um, but at the same time, it's a bizarre anomaly to see Microsoft gobbling up so many indie studios. But Moon Studios, no go. Like, I wonder how much they offered to Moon Studios and they just kept turning it down. Like, I remember asking the director of Ori at E3 and he's like, ah, very clearly imply that Microsoft had offered to buy the studio at some point. But it makes me wonder, like, what that studio has in store if they want to break free from Ori or if just the developers are so hell-bent on keeping that completely independent. Yeah, because I think for Microsoft probably values it a lot because it is in that perfect Game Pass tier where it's yeah. like it, it it exposes more people to it. You know, people who might not buy, like who might look at that game and say, I don't know if I want to buy that specifically, but because it's free and I already basically have it, I can play it. And it's like, oh, it's like those games that I used to play. Like, this is really cool. And it gives them an exclusive basically to, you know, and it, with Game Pass being the thing that they're, uh, pushing more, I would argue, than their own console uh, at this point. But uh, like, it, it is like in that tier where it's like relatively low cost. We don't have to build like a new universe. We don't have to invest like millions of dollars into this studio that is like staffed by like forty people or whatever. Like, it is relatively low cost for what you're getting out of it, which is like an exclusive that people really like. Right. Yeah. And it's a weird situation where they were a remote studio before everybody in the world was a remote studio. Mm-hmm. So they really, they understood working from home better than most. Maybe they had some tips for other developers at Microsoft or beyond that were getting into that game with COVID. Uh, Jacob, number five, what do you got, man? Uh, sure. So here can be our first uh, discussion about potentially prolific. Ooh. My number five is Death Stranding. Ooh, mm. potentially prolific indeed. Yeah, so I... I really liked Death Stranding while I was playing it, and the more time goes by, the more I like it. Like, I, I feel like, especially you're not in the playing kind it. of... <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, you know, the, the I guess the more AAA games I play that are not Death Stranding, the more I appreciate all the things that Death Stranding was doing and and kind of how, how weird and original it was. Um, and I would love to see more... Not even necessarily in the in the world or with, you know, Norman Reedus, but just kind of with those gameplay systems. And Kojima makes really good sequels. Like he is a he's good at making sequels. And so I feel like the potential of a Death Stranding 2 is real high. Hang on. Yeah. So you don't want more from the world or the characters. You just want more walking? Or well, what's... I'm saying I don't I don't need it to look like Iceland again. You know, right. and and I don't need Sam Porter Bridges, but I am interested in another Strand game, <laughs> and, and I think <laughs> I think he could call it Death Stranding too, and still have you know the kind of the overall setting of like semi post apocalyptic. You got to carry stuff from place to place, and have that be enough connective tissue that it could still be a Death Stranding game. But, um, you know, you don't have all the weird plot baggage that the first one uh, loved to just dive into. uh, Death Ring was definitely on my honorable mentions. And I think that, yeah, I I, well, I think maybe my least favorite part of Death Stranding was the parts where it felt like it had to be like other games, like the shooting specifically and a lot of like the open world. Well, you got to do like what I, we have to give you an experience bar that you're always leveling up. You have to do, run a bunch of errands in this open world framework. So I think that that game is definitely ripe for, okay, if maybe Kojima taking feedback from like, oh, people maybe didn't like the shooting or, you know, whatever people ended up liking or not. And then him going back and like, well, I can go even crazier and, and try to have there be less shooting 
frustrating and like less yeah. open world and make it even more eccentric because people like the, the people like the stuff that I that was risky and I can double down on those parts instead of trying to like make it a safer game with stuff that people already know. Do you think that's their takeaway though? I bet if you compile all those reviews together, a lot of them are just going to say there's large sections of it that are boring. Yeah, I, I think that you, you can look at that, that. I think that's one pillar of how people take the feedback, but I'd be curious to see. I I, I don't remember people being like super uh, like happy with the shooting yeah. elements specifically. So maybe that's the thing where it's like people don't love like it's just not mentioned. So maybe we don't need it. And then for the people who do like the the like the running and climbing and stuff, we can double down on that and make that the defining feature of the franchise. But, you know, who knows what their takeaways are? Because obviously, like the American critical reception, which is the thing that I'm most keyed into is, is just a small part of what people thought about that game, but we'll, or maybe he just ends up doing something different because maybe he feels like it didn't sell well enough or whatever, you know? Well, they said that it made its money back, that it sold fine-ish seems to be the grand conclusion. I would want them to do something different. I think, didn't he say recently that he had a project fall through? Yes. Okay. That's quite the tease. I would love to know which publisher is like, yeah, Kojima, actually, no, never mind. Like, I want to know that roller coaster ride. I just feel like from a from a value proposition standpoint, like you think about all the kind of like like conceptual stuff that has to go into a new Kojima IP, like right. from from him just thinking of it to like all of the concept art and stuff that they're doing, like all of those kind of visions are so specific. And so I feel like starting with the already defined aesthetic of Death Stranding is a huge leg up compared mm-hmm. to completely starting fresh again. Which is one of those reasons that it's so amazing, too, that they were able to crank that out as quickly as they did. I think yeah. everyone's always like, ah, Kojima, huge budget. All right, it's going to take him forever. And it's one of those things of like, oh, it's coming out when? Oh, 2019. Okay, like I was oh, I was and shocked. it's like a 50-hour game? Oh, right. Oh, geez, all right. <laughs> yeah, there was, remember, everybody's discussion about that before it released was like, all right, this is secretly going to be like a nine-hour weirdo experience. Got it. Like, that thing, they busted their ass over there to crank it out in three and a half years, somewhere around there. This is mind-boggling. Uh, learning a new engine at the same time. Um, my number five is a little bit of a funky one, uh, but I went with Cuphead. Uh, mm. This is the first time you saw it in that indie highlight reel at E3 for Microsoft. It's like, wait, what the hell is that? Slow the screen down. You didn't know what that is. And for that freaky-looking game to be released and reach like this I don't know uh, cultural proliferation the way it did it just blows my mind the idea it, it that it went mainstream like totally it did like, yeah the fact it's that it's ubiquitous I could, it's getting a Netflix cartoon adaptation in a few months like right like you know I went to Wisconsin Dells last summer uh, one of the greatest cities in the world um, and like in this bizarro t-shirt shop they have like cuphead t-shirts and it's like what the hell of all the brands to break through cuphead is so wildly unexpected um it's in merch now for christ's sake uh it's just an amazing example of an indie game breaking through in a way that you would never expect a game a retro game upon a retro game to break through at that level it's mind-boggling i guess more games should just have like kids mascots as the main character (laughs) you know like that is that the takeaway is that the reason that like hyper light drifter isn't on t-shirts is because it's too mature looking i wonder i mean 
That's a I weird mean, Lucky's right? Tale yeah. isn't on t-shirts, you know? Yeah, like, okay. Well, I mean, assuming I that the game is good. good God, I wish Surreal slowly stood up and he was just wearing a Lucky's Tale t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> there are dozens of us. <laughs> there was, you know, just a quick aside, walking through Target, they have, like, the Xbox section, the Switch section, they have, like, little mascots, Mario's on Switch. They had Lucky from Lucky's Tale on the Xbox. What? Like, okay. Really? That's, no, you don't want Master Chief on there or something? All right, go for it, man. Wow. You do you, Target. Hey, whatever. Uh, all right, number four, Serial. Uh, my number four is For Honor. Interesting. Oh, weird. Okay. Which is uh, a really cool combat game and this weird kind of example of Ubisoft's uh, kind of long-term model for basically all of their games even their single player games like assassin's creed working out because that game was uh like it had like one of those rough launches but you know they've they figured out a formula to make that game work uh long term and they just kept adding content and like new characters and it like the i think the combat system was fairly novel and not too weird that it like was uninviting but it had like it felt different from other melee combat games and it's been going strong since like 2016 and it's still like it's still getting new content so i think for like it it feels like one of those games where we're probably going to see either i mean it's very likely that we'll get a port but i would love to see a for honor 2 that you know uh i maybe would be a little bit bummed if they kind of reset everything and just said like hey we're reducing the roster size in order to get a bunch of new features in but i would be kind of into the idea of an excuse to just dive back in because at this point if going back is kind of like okay well there are a bunch of characters now i haven't been keeping up for for a while but in terms of new franchises from major studios that came out this year this was probably one of the most interesting for me yeah i guess we didn't i was gonna say is that the only ubisoft i mean there was like I was trying to think of Ubisoft new IP. There's, There's no, a lot. Watch Dogs. There is? Yeah, okay. we, can, we can unpack that later. I got the publisher roundup thing. Yeah, I, well, yeah, Watch Dogs is one of those ones that I still kind of put in last generation, but... Even though technically... Yeah, anyway, we can, we can get around to that. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Serial, what was that DLC? There was that For Honor DLC that they announced recently that everybody's like, wait, what? Marching Fire, I think it was? No. It was the... Uh, oh, the Samurai Showdown character. Is training oh. for honor? No, no, no. It's the other way. It's the it's the other way around. The, oh. the 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 warden from For Honor is joining the cast of Samurai Showdown. <laughs> that's so confusing. Okay. Yeah, it's a weird. That that's the thing that I wanted to see is to see something someone like Halmaru or Galford from Samurai Showdown in For Honor because then you'd have a character who has an attack dog if you chose Galford, who's the right choice. Uh-huh. Uh, and that would be really weird because that game, yeah, because that game is not like. It's not hyper realistic, but it's not like arcadey either. So that'd be pretty cool to see. Yeah, weird. Uh, Kyle, number four. Uh, this might be too early for this. Oh, boy. frankly. Oh boy. But I've got Ghost of Tsushima at number four for me. Hey, which man. is like yeah. one of those it. things. I was like, well, wait, hold on a second. It's new IP, but it's all based on like real life history of a Mongol invasion of Tsushima. About? That's fair. You, yeah funny. okay I, I don't know I was just like, like History of Honor is a franchise despite the fact that it's based on real world <laughs> events <laughs> History is the greatest had, IP of all I, but yeah I just I, I, I love that like I said I might still kind of be in the honeymoon period for that game but I have stopped playing so I've you know that I'm not playing it right now if that counts for anything but I really love it there's room for more uh, it's 
um, Sucker Punch does sequels. You know, there might be like a standalone expansion or something. They've done that for Ooh. their last couple games, which I would love to see. I mean, just looking at the whole, you know, list of, of games that I put together, like that was one that I was like, I really want more of that. I even, I want to see more, I want to hang out with Jin more, you know, like I, I would love to see more of that game, you know? Please don't spoil anything or get anywhere near spoiling anything. Okay. But where would you want them to go for a sequel? Would you want them to go to like mainland Japan? Do you think they'd be different enough? Um, yeah, that, totally. That would totally be different enough for sure. I okay, mean, it's a different region. Of course, it would be different. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I. But that's a. It's a good question because the game, very much. I mean, of it takes place on an island like very much on purpose. Like every element of that game is like the way the story rolls out. It's like, it's important that it takes place on an island. So we've seen the whole island at this point. Like, yeah, where do you go next from there? But there are, there are certainly places that he can go literally and within the fiction for sure. Do you think they'd call it ghosts of new region or would it be ghosts of Tsushima Two? Japan mainland? It's exactly the shadow of Mordor conundrum. Like they're just stumped either way. Yeah, I mean, ghost I think they would just—I think they would just go Ghost of Tsushima Two, right? Because I mean, that's still a, like, let's say there was a sequel in mean, New York, York City, <laughs> but like him being from Tsushima. Secret of the years. Because the he, game is is the name of the game is the protagonist. It's basically Max Payne, you know. Right. So like him being from Tsushima, the Ghost of Tsushima, is accurate if he leaves and goes somewhere gotcha. else. That's so a very like, good point. So it's not really, like, it's more his name than it is, like, the location where the game takes place. So it wouldn't be that weird to call it two, I don't think. So it'd be like Ghost of Tsushima colon rising, something yeah. like that. Or, or it would just be called Ghost from Tsushima. <laughs> well, they still call like, they still call him Geralt of Rivia, even when he's not in Rivia. Exactly, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, did, so. yeah, I didn't think about it that way. No, it's not too soon for that, Kyle. Based on your love, I think that's very accurate for the entire generation. Yeah. You know, I, something I, I was... I was thinking about the other day uh, with the Infamous series, which I kind of forgot had like a PS4 release until I was looking at it. It's great. Second Son's amazing. The quality difference between Infamous 1 and Infamous 2 is staggering. Like Infamous 2 is so much better than Infamous 1, which is still like a pretty good game. And so it would be, you know, it's a different thing because those were both on the same console and they were using like the same technology. But the idea of them like stepping up their game as much as they did from one to two of infamous for ghost of tsushima just very exciting concept yeah yeah god i still want to play festival of blood is that the infamous 2 dlc for some reason it's a standalone it's standalone uh dlc so it's not a uh, it's not dlc i mean you can play without owning infamous 2 right right and i guess it's just sucker bunch kind of getting that ball rolling for sony overall right yeah, I guess so. I always kind of saw it as like a, like almost like an undead nightmare sort of response. They're like, oh, you can do weird non-canon. Let, yeah, let's make Cole a vampire for some reason. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I, that that would be fun to go back to as like if I just was like in the mood to play Infamous, which I always am, hundred percent of the of time. Course. Of like, just to just play like a short Infamous story, it would be fun to go back to that one and, and play through that one again. Yeah, I was thinking about Infamous Second Son as well recently. Just thinking about how far, I guess, culture has come in this generation as well, where I think the idea of casting Troy Baker as uh, Delson Rowe, the Native American protagonist mm-hmm. of Infamous Second Son, I don't think that would have been done in 
2019 or 2020. And there's a lot of those changes throughout the course of this generation where it's just like, it's crazy in retrospect or even like, oh, and then Troy Baker was also in Far Cry 4. He was uh, the Asian Taking leader, in. right? Or even like yeah. Naughty Dog, a very progressive studio overall. It's like, it wasn't that long ago with Uncharted 4 where it was, um, what's her name? What's that? Was it Nadine? Nadine, yeah. But what is the actress's name? Laura, was it Laura Bailey? Yeah, it was Laura Bailey. Yeah, exactly. But it's like those like a casting for another race, I feel like at this point with Ghost being a good example, it's like, eh, we're not going to do that so much in the industry. But it's just been a couple years where that change has really kicked in for the game industry in particular. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Uh, Jacob Geller, number four. What do you got, sir? Okay, my number four, which was brought up earlier, is Titanfall. Oh, yeah, there we go. Um, and and this one's interesting because Apex is in the same universe, um, but I I really want to see Titanfall three. <laughs> you know that's that's what I want, and I want another single player campaign. And and given the success of Titanfall two versus Apex Legends, that feels unlikely. Um, but would you settle for an Apex Legends single player campaign that featured mm. all your favorite legends? Uh, no, because Apex Legends doesn't feel as good to play. Like it's just yeah. you know I spent I spent hundreds of hours with both Titanfall multiplayers and those are really some of the only competitive multiplayers I've like got into, and Apex is fun but it doesn't feel as good as Titanfall like it's just it, it's a pretty clear distinction for me. Um, so Titanfall Titanfall was a weird one because it was also on Xbox 360 but it was like a reverse port where it came out yeah. first on Xbox One and then afterwards on 360 uh but it's a yeah it's a it's a next gen series and titanfall 1 is great and titanfall 2 is incredible so those are that's my number four i love that and they had such weird messaging where they said there is a titanfall project in the works for a while vincent pell over there kept saying that and then it seemed like the messaging from a couple months ago was and eh, not so much so some <laughs> titanfall project at some point got axed which is confusing um surreal number wait no is it me you, yeah. You. Oh my gosh, it is me. Uh, my number four <laughs> is Outer Worlds. Um, mm. Not Outer Wilds, your favorite game, Jacob Geller. But yeah, Outer Worlds overall. We played it last year for the deepest dive, and I think it's just a nice example of uh, a publisher like Private Division, part of 2K, but it's that complicated thing, separate enough, I guess, where they said, hey, Fallout games aren't being made at the clip that we think they should be. Let's take a stab at it and fund this thing. Took a risk. It paid off in a huge way, and now I think it adds that extra influence and kind of room for growth with the idea of Microsoft scooping this up, now owning Obsidian, owning Outer Worlds, so Outer Worlds 2 will be Xbox slash, I guess, PC exclusive at this point. Um, I think it's an interesting case of the generation giving people what they want. Will it be called the Outest Wilds? Worlds? I think it will. What if they just called it the Outer Worlds to Wilds? <laughs> mm. They did. Oh God, what did they say? They, I remember visiting that studio for the coverture trip, and they had a lot of thoughts about like, oh, we're saving that for the future, saving that for the future. So clearly, they know they have several different paths they could go down for the future game. But they brought up the idea that it's going to be really fun because it's the Outer World. So it's T O W. And they said it'd be really fun to call it T-O-W and then T-W-O for the names. Mm. Who knows if they'll end up doing that? Uh, Serial number three. Uh, My number three is Disco Elysium, uh, which is, I think I'm, I'm, it's another kind of similar thing 
where I'm more fascinated by the world than the individual characters who were like all like supremely well written and like the writing that game is definitely the standout. But you know, it's based on this uh, novel that the guy, like the writer of the game, wrote ahead before he made the game, and it's based on like his D and D campaigns that he like this D and D world that he started making. I don't know if it's D and D specifically, but it's like a tabletop role playing thing that he made, and then he wrote a novel based on those campaigns, and then he made a game based on the world of the novel. So there's already like this this like really lush fiction behind. Uh, that game and I could totally just be down for more of them making just here is this really interesting kind of way to implement story into an RPG without really implementing combat and making interesting choices and just I want to learn more about that world so I can totally even though I enjoy Disco Elysium as like a one-off thing that doesn't have to have a sequel I like that novel I think is in Czech so you can't it's but they're working on an english translation and i will 100% read it when it comes out in english because i want to learn more about that series even though it just came out like last year i feel like man i really want to dive into this really intricately uh, built world that is just like has so much going on in it yeah and it's interesting from at least what i played of disco Elysium, the idea that it's such a small area they're exploring as well it's like hey there's a whole world out there to unpack within this ip if you want to be so brazen as that and they definitely have hooks in there, you know, through, like with the series, like the, the history of that world to explore, like, well, based on what we know in this small section of the world, what is going on in other places? Like they definitely touch on that without kind of uh, w- w- while also leaving room for them to say like something completely different is going on here that also ties into the to the like the first game. You know, it's interesting. I didn't put this on my list, not because I didn't love it, as I I did. It's one of my favorite games of this generation, probably. But because I thought of it as, like, it's a one-off. I don't need to know more about the specific characters that you were playing in that game. But apparently it doesn't take much to convince me. And I I think (laughs) the the idea of there being this whole book and this whole fiction to dive into is a really compelling idea. So, yeah, it's like, I don't need to... You know, maybe maybe you could kind of have like references to things. I don't need to be playing as the same person um, as the yeah. first game, but like the drunkard yeah, cop I, is not necessarily the character that you want to explore deeper because I feel like they kind of explore his character it. pretty yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> they figured him out. Yeah, <laughs> they they okay, have so. announced a TV show. A TV show is in the works, like officially. So yeah. uh, assuming that ends up seeing the light of day. You know, like as every video game project inevitably does. When's that uh, Shadow of the Colossus movie coming out? <laughs> it's soon, right? Second yeah. now. It's going to be great, right? I think it's a double feature with the Metal Gear Solid movie. Yeah, and, and the Uncharted movie. It'll be just a whole marathon hey, of video game Tom movies. Tom Holland tweeted a picture of a chair, so, you know. Uh, that's that fair. In the can. That movie's done. <laughs> that it, movie got canned? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's still just amazing branding from that Jordan Vote Roberts guy for being like, Every time there's an article about him, some not so good, it's always the director of the Metal Gear Solid movie. Like, he's had that billing for, like, four <laughs> years now. Show me the movie! Show me the movie, everybody! It's not happening. You think he puts that on his resume? What? The- I think he just put theoretical- hung out with Hideo Kojima. Right. I think he's put on it. Right. Like, I, I still have no sense about how official that was. Was it just... He had meetings with Konami, had meetings with Kojima, and then just started talking about it on podcasts. And so everybody was just like, well, the director's right here. He's just willing it into it. You, you got you to gotta dress for the job you want. That's you know, right. Not for the one you have. Tweet for the job you want. I get it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Number three, Kyle, what do you got? 
Uh, okay, so this is where my list starts getting arguably um, bad and not following the rules necessarily. Cool. <laughs> but, Wait, uh, do, you, do you like this game you're about to say? Oh, I effing love this game. But um, uh, the question's about longevity and stuff like that. But number three, uh, Hyperlight Drifter. I oh. really love the sort of world that was established there. I just I love the tone and the thing the thing that makes me somewhat comfortable about having it on my list is Solar Ash does look like a successor. Even if it I don't know if it's a sequel necessarily, but like if you if you know, if one day there was a preview that released where I started playing that game and it was just like, "Oh yeah, by the way, this takes place in the same world as Hyperlight Drifter." I would just nod and be like, "Okay, yeah. I I understand. That makes sense." Right. So that could be totally original, but like thematically consistent. But yeah, I I love Hyperlight Drifter so much, and just like the color and tone and sound of that world, and it's so mysterious and strange. Uh, I would love to s- see more. And it's like thinking about this list, especially my top three. I was kind of thinking about like what are the what are the sort of worlds or stories or just like inventions, these fictional inventions that just affected me the most and stuck with me the most. Mm-hmm. That were just the like just important to me that like felt new and compelling and that's and hyperlight drifter was one of those for me it's just like this is a really interesting place that they've invented you know yeah yeah for sure uh jacob number three my number three is a little game called undertale there it is that is my number two ah perfect all right um, so I, this one is, a, I, I feel like from the kind of cultural impact section, like I used to teach summer camps and specifically Minecraft summer camps and I, they exist. Um, the amount that kids talked about Undertale, like kind of nine, 10 year old kids was just nuts. Like, like when they were telling like, you to stop talking about Undertale? no like i was convinced to play undertale from like a pretty convincing third grader who was like no this game is great that's cool Um, i'm happy to hear that and 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 i think it is i think it's you know it's got that cultural impact and deltarune exists and we know that more is coming so it's you know it is a series that is being progressed in a way that i think it will you know continue to be influential um but, you know, maybe it's not as, as visible as Cuphead, but in terms of kind of, like, a generation that's grown up on, like, watching streamers do stuff, I think we, even though Undertale was, like, a big deal for us, the gaming press, I think it's an even bigger deal for, like, you know, Gen Z, kind of yeah. one one click under us, or, or two, y'all <laughs> old guys. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Double click. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Undertale. It's my yeah, number three. I, I think before Delta Rune, I definitely would have said, oh, "Okay, I don't need another game in this world." I think he, it's like a one and done kind of deal. But it does after playing Delta Rune. For I mean, for one, it's billed as like a chapter one, so obviously it's clear that he's going to continue making this unless he kind of decides to pivot away from it. But like there, it does like thematically Deltarune does feel like it has things to say, right? It's not like just a, well, this is the most successful thing I could be doing. Uh, so I'm just going to make more of this, but it feels like thematically there are things about like, it is, it is riffing on some of the things that I mentioned in Undertale and taught, and it feels like it is building on the themes, both mechanically and thematically of the first game. So it feels like it doesn't feel like Toby Fox feels boxed in 
to to continue making more Undertale, and it feels like he does have an interesting direction that he wants to take that series in. Yeah, and it's also one that like, I mean, I don't maybe it's blasphemy, I don't know, but I would love to see it outside of a video game. Like, I would love an Undertale animated show or like a movie or something. Like, God, as long as it up, like plays you know? with the format in a fun way as well. Which, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm really excited to hear Jacob that like that kids really like that game because I one of the things that really that I love about that game is that all my knowledge of video games leading up to it, I felt like were a factor and acknowledged and like mm-hmm. jokes were made about the fact that I had so much knowledge of video games. So I'm happy to hear that like that stuff lands even for younger players who like probably haven't played as many video games as me or only play modern games, you know, like that's, that's, that's cool. And that, that makes me happy. My, my one weird hang up with like uh, other kinds of media is like, I can't imagine any of those characters having voices that's not like do 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 do, you know. Like yeah. I don't I don't want to hear like Papyrus be like, here's a bone pun or what you know. It's like what if it was Gilbert Gottfried though? <laughs> yeah, okay, that, I changed my mind. No, like a, like a comic book Undertale, I feel like mm. would be really cool or something. But like, yeah, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want like a like a. Um, what's the minions animation studio that's making illumination yeah i don't want an illumination undertale well i don't want an illumination undertale (laughs) that's exactly what you said (laughs) don't deny it but yeah no i i it's one of those things i would like to see it through the lens of other creators in a weird way i'd like to hear how someone would interpret those voices and stuff like that but i i i also hear what you're saying that it's like it's important to that game the sort of the sound you know of like characters talking is like it, very crucial to the mm-hmm. tone and, and sort of emotion of that game yeah uh my number three is tough to separate my love for the game and the impact of the game versus my love for the world and the ip but uh PUBG has got to be on this list somewhere right in terms of sure. most impactful yeah new ips of the generation such an ugly weird name to even call a new ip to be like oh you know player unknowns ip um but hey both versions of that title are bad hey look it's right it's no good it's it's very quickly rose in the ranks like it's only matched by tom clancy in terms of people as all right that's right that's right um but yeah just the idea of loving that original map spending so much time on that original map and even you know, when they started rolling out the teases about like, oh, we're going to start adding a little bit of lore about who's actually controlling this world. It turned my head. Uh, I, I am vaguely interested in that. And then obviously against uh, Glenn Schofield went and founded that new studio, Striking Distance. It's going to be making the single player or story focused game within the PUBG world. Like, I'm on board for that. It's already starting to be prolific in addition to overturning the industry based on its children, largely, but still. Yep. Uh, so PUBG is my number three. Number two, Cyril, you already said. Number two, Kyle. Uh, man, I, I I had to put inside on there. Like, I just, that, <laughs> I it's just so impactful for me. Just everything it. about that game. And, like, I, I want to exist in it more. I, I don't, I'm not super confident that Play Dead will revisit that world. I... Maybe their sort of tease sequel exists alongside it, but doesn't really touch on. You know what I mean? Like, there's potential there that like it could exist in that weird, strange world of mind control and stuff like that. But it's, I'm just so intrigued about every element of that game. Like every new screen you encounter, I'm just fascinated by what's happening. And for that reason, it's just like to me, in terms of thinking about newly created worlds, like it's just so compelling that I can't ignore it. Even even if I don't know that I would want Inside Two. You know, I just I just love it so much. 
Yeah, it's weird to think that like, oh, you know, we'll probably never go back to the world of inside, but does it matter because we'll go back to Playdead's world at some point and that basically is all the same? Like, that's just what you want here, right? Yeah, I mean, basically. Yeah. More time <laughs> yeah. inside of those creators' heads and what they can actually spit out as a team. Yeah, and they could like make music and with it. That's a joke about the skull that they use to create the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, what did that. they do for that again? Tell me the story. I, I forget. Don't know. They found some animal skull and hit it with a hammer to create reverberations or something. <laughs> Just some spooky, scary stuff that was really effective, turns out. Uh, those guys are hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> laugh a minute over at Playdead. <laughs> Jacob Geller, number two. Number two, Hollow Knight. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, that's on my that's on my bonus list for sure, yeah. Um, so this one is easy because we know it's getting a follow-up. Every day I wake up and I just hope that I like open up Twitter and it's like Hollow Knight Silk Song out now because it feels like I, every time you see it, it looks done. You know, that's that's what's kind of hard about it. It's like from <laughs> the first trailer, I was like, this is only three months away. And then it's kept going. But um, this is kind of in the same category as Wargroove, where it's like, obviously, it's a variation on an existing genre. And, and Hollow Knight isn't necessarily reinventing the wheel in any significant ways but it's just so well made and and so fun to play and i've i've played through the entire game several times which i you know i don't do often um and i just i just kind of want more from that if, if they're going to be kind of the mantle of metroidvania uh i'm happy with it yeah love it uh my number two is Overwatch. Uh, it's one of those games, I was thinking about it, it's like, Overwatch feels so perfect for the game industry. It feels like one of those franchises that's been around since 1997 or something. It's like, it just seems so rare for a IP in general to come out of the gate that polished with its characters and personality that well-defined. And I think Blizzard on that front just completely knocked it out of the park. Uh, and again, it's that weird thing of, I played so much of that game in 2016 and I loved it. And I've kind of trailed off, so now I feel like a big fat phony for saying I love Overwatch, but I do. I love the world and the vibe of Overwatch still so much, and the fact that they've maintained that while expanding it is incredible. Yeah, I like the short films more than the actual game, actually. <laughs> I don't know what that says about it. Well, but. I mean, the, the sequel's going to have a single-player campaign, so maybe Kyle will be more into Overwatch than any of us by the time, by this time next year, or when, or when is that game coming out? Have they, I, don't I don't think they've set they've a date, said. have they? I don't think so. Okay. I always get confused about if they announced a date for Diablo 3. Four or Overwatch Two, but I don't think they have. Yeah, I also feel like it was pretty, like not just popular, but I think influential, because I think yeah. in its wake, a lot of people have been like, "Oh, what if we just made a game that was like a, a competitive game that just had a lot of characters in it, that where we didn't necessarily focus on like, oh, you can build your own character and customize it or whatever. It's just like here's a, a like a fighting game esque roster of like characters with really big personalities that really stand out." even among each other, like amongst each other. Yeah, I mean, in terms of yeah, influences for the entire generation, yeah, just the, the rise of hero shooters or just seeing a game, even a game like, you know, Rocket Arena, which, have you guys played, by the way, that new EA published game that was released last week? Um, but no, I saw I saw a trailer. I, I, I like the concept of, hey, we're going to take a, a shooter and kind of imbue it with like the Smash Brother mechanic, which is yeah. not a thing you see in a lot of other games. Right, but I guess to the point, it's just, you see the trailer for that game, it's like, okay, it's another one of those Overwatch-style games. Got it. Um, but yeah, Rocket Arena is surprisingly cool. It's 30 bucks, which seems bizarre because it does feel like one of those free-to-play games. Uh, lots of, you know, earning skins and stuff like that. Uh, but the hook, Kyle, is... You're in some sort of rocket arena. You can use your rocket to launch yourself around and like climb up slopes and stuff, which is very cool. And then everybody has a meter 
the more they get hit by the rocket, then they fly further, and then it's just Smash Brothers like try to stay in the arena. Right. Uh, but like even on like large scale games, things like Valorant and Apex Legends, I feel like like either they already had that idea going, and they were like, oh, they we they saw Overwatch and said, okay, this is definitely the way to go, or they were like, oh, that's that's kind of what we need is is to individualize every character so everyone feels like they have their space within Overwatch to to do well. I yeah. Mean, of everything we've said today, I feel like I am confident that Overwatch will be around the longest you know Interesting. like it, it, it would not surprise me at all for like 20 years from now overwatch is still like an ip and those characters are still recognizable yeah. which like i like all my games but like i don't think the hollow knight is still going to be kicking 20 years from now but like i it wouldn't surprise me if overwatch was yeah, yeah. i think that's, that's well said it's also pretty influential in, in that I've seen a lot of people post about, you know, competitive Overwatch more than I've seen uh, from a lot of other games. I, I feel like it kind of got a new kind of group of people into esports, following esports with like the Overwatch League and stuff. And I think other people um, have taken cues from it, like even within Blizzard itself, like the Call of Duty League feels very much inspired by Overwatch's. Let's take from sports the local aspect of, hey, you're representing your city as much as you are like, you know, here's a group of really good players. And, you know, who knows how that's going to turn out because I feel like, you know, the feeling is that esports is like this huge bubble and who knows how that's going to turn out in the course of the next few years. But it definitely feels like, oh, this is something that people really want. So let's, you know, let's take this new structure of esports and try to apply it to as much as we can and uh, see what we can do with it. So there's a lot of money like going around because of Overwatch at this point in that sector, which is kind of weird to see. Bizarre. Uh, Hey, Serial, number one, what do you got? Uh, my number one is, uh, you guys hear, heard about this Mario guy? Oh, yeah. He jumps real <laughs> hot. No, uh, I, I, I'd be remiss not to give it to Destiny in terms of new IP that yeah. I've clicked with this generation. I, I mean, for one, it's like one of the most influential IP, uh, just like on an industry sense, because I think like the, the idea of a living game, I think Destiny was like, even though Destiny is not did not fulfill the promise of Destiny when it came out, like I think a lot of people saw that and said like, either this is again validates kind of what we were trying to do or this is the way forward to like here's how to here's how to keep a game alive kind of um not have to spend money on redoing all the assets with every entry and just release expansion packs and basically make it like an mmo light um in terms of releasing expansion packs and such and just like giving people a reason to come back over and over again yeah Um, i love that idea too just of when this generation was bubbling up, it's like, well, at some point, somebody has to try doing the shooter FPS slash MMO hybrid. And it's like, Bungie, you're as talented as anybody. Go for it. And then they just get the crap kicked out of them for an entire generation. But like eventually, they're like, okay, I <laughs> well, think we I mean, did like, it, yeah, everybody. It, 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 it ebbs and flows, and I, I'm sure Bungie learned a ton from like how to build. Like they learned a lot of how to build this type of game as they were building it because, you know, like Destiny came out and people the complaint was, oh, there's not enough to do. Then by the time Taken King came around, people were like, okay, great, they fixed Destiny. It's like they, they did it. And then Destiny 2 came out and it's like, there's nothing to do. Why did you reset this and take away all my guns? <laughs> and then Forsaken comes out the year after that. It's like, okay, you fixed it. And now finally, they're like okay guys no destiny 3 we learned our lesson finally we can we can do this so like even them as kind of uh i don't want to necessarily say the pioneer because they're learning a lot from like diablo and, and mmos and stuff but like the kind of the this specific type of game of living game even though they're kind of like the the people kind of furthest out you know the people kind of trailblazing in that sense they they were kind of figuring it out as they went but you know in terms of like it, I think the reason I've come back to Destiny over stuff like even after playing, you know, um, Anthem, which, you know, obviously not a lot of people playing Anthem at this point, but uh, things like oh, the that's Division. that's my number one, actually. 
Oh, okay. Well, the, uh, uh, but like even the division, I think it's just like they did a really good job of keeping you invested in that world. And I know people really like knock the the grimoire stuff as like, oh, what, what, just put that text in the game or make that its own game or you know, like uh, turn this into like, uh, like why am I reading text in a first person shooter? But mm-hmm. I think like that stuff helps so much to keep people around. Uh, and it and they've kind of delivered on some of the promise of what they're doing with the grimoire and and keeping this world feeling alive in that you know here's this character that you really only read about coming back like here's saint 14 who's a character you mostly read about here's you know osiris and like here is this character that you've never seen before but it feels like oh they're like they feels like a celebrity like uh appearance at some point when they surface a character from the fiction and that is the kind of thing that keeps people around of like oh i want to keep playing destiny so i can see what happens in this world and not just because they released a new update that it's like they have 40 more guns right and so like i think that that world building i think has become super crucial to why people play destiny even if um, the gunplay is the thing that people are here for. Yeah, and I think Destiny also just defines a generation so well for being, in my mind, one of like the strongest gaming communities out yeah. there that, that at least I've encountered. Uh, and just also kind of a paragon for just having a studio community relationship where the studio is focusing so much on the community, you know, zigging and zagging based on what they would prefer. Sometimes I understand those split a little bit then come back together, but it's just been like this will they won't they love hate affair between the destiny <laughs> game and developers yeah. and the community for this entire generation has been fascinating to watch yeah and and i think you know and, and the press uh, like in kind of the circles that we wrote it feels like that game kind of ebbs and flows where people kind of drop in whenever there's a new expansion pack but there's yeah in terms of like here is a, a group of like content creators dedicated specifically to this game i think that was like on the early like uh rise for that kind of stuff where it's like i make my living like doing nothing but destiny stuff and i don't right. work at bungie right so because as much as we like like to say that's oh you know destiny's bad now or whatever and people are ignoring it but you know i'll come back for destiny 3 like anytime you see like even the most obscure bits like here's kind of here's like this lore guide for this one gun in destiny and you're like oh that's like a thing that i was interested in and it's like what what's this at oh it's got one and a half million views because this community is so incredibly popular yeah like it, like that game has has you know as much as people say like oh people still play destiny like that was the thing anytime we wrote something about destiny for like game informer was like oh i can't believe people still play destiny but it's like it's still one of the most popular games out there (laughs) meanwhile it's like the the story that got the most hits that week yeah exactly like i i and a lot of those it's not like it was any breaking news it's just like here's a recap of what bungie wrote on their site and it's like the most popular thing i write that day right right kyle number one Okay, so number one, I, I looking at in size, my number two, and just like looking at it as like, oh, this is really fascinating and mysterious. I was thinking about games that I've played this generation that I felt like had the most realized world in the sense of like everything was explained and also was really fascinating and interesting. And it's like was less mysterious, I guess you could say, compared to Inside. And in terms of like a fictional world that was created, uh, nothing felt like more fully realized to me than iconoclasts <laughs> kyle no <laughs> really yeah yeah no! absolutely i know it, it it weirdly bums you out that i talk about that game it's like it, it does you you seem like frustrated that i like it so much which is weird to me i don't know why you feel that I way don't know. i feel like we've done a lot of these counting down the things yeah <laughs> podcast and iconoclast is always at number one no matter what because the category I is love it like I, the, the thing about that game is like it really it eschews it eschews your expectations of like because you start out and it's like 
you know, a colorful platformer, but it's really this sort of criticism of religion in like a larger sort of picture, which is a type of story that appeals to me. And like, yeah, they just spend so much time with every character and their backstory. I just like, it really surprises you in a lot of ways. And like, in terms of like, like I said, a realized world, like a creator really thought in depth about what they wanted this world to be and what story they were trying to tell, even more so than Death Stranding, Iconoclasts clicked with me more, you know? The idea, I was, in my mind, I was realizing like, oh crap, we haven't said a biggie yet. And because I, the reason I screamed no is because I was hoping you're going to say Bloodborne. Oh, but then you're no. like, when it comes from a creator, well-realized world that captures <laughs> your imagination, iconoclasts. Sure, but that's very. I actually put yeah. I mean, I in terms if Sekiro's actually more close is like on my uh, honorary mention list before Bloodborne. Personally. Oh, interesting. I, I mean, yeah. for me, I think like. Like we were, what I was saying earlier is that I'm more into the from software franchise than I am like any individual Weird. games. Like I'm mm, one of the yeah. people. Like I, I like obviously Bloodborne is not my favorite, but like even Sekiro, I don't want to see another Sekiro. I want them to do you know whatever. I want them to build whatever world they want to keep exploring new ways to approach this concept because I think they have mastered the idea of like ostensibly Sekiro isn't super isn't like completely different from Dark Souls in that they are kind of still the same in the same lineage but like they they're masters of like making that formula feel fresh in a way that you don't see with a lot of other franchises so rather than like oh, I, I want to see them do Bloodborne again or I want them to see another Dark Souls or Sekiro I want them to explore new ways to make that feel fresh fresh and if it's Elden Ring if it's more of an RPG thing or whatever like then I like yeah I want to give them carte blanche to do whatever they want and I don't necessarily need to see sequels to from software games yeah also just on the topic of I mean because it's like I boy I love Bloodborne like that is uh, what a great game but but the whole game is also kind of built around a, a trick you know or like a like an unveiling and so it seems even though they are very talented and I'm sure they could come up with like new ways to surprise me, it just feels like what what could Bloodborne 2 even be now that we know like the hook, you know, that, right. that we know that it's not just Victorian horror or whatever right. it kind of like sold itself as in the beginning. So I am I'm totally with the surreal and that I, I just I want to see them do new weird stuff. Yeah. Do you think, um, like, how many times in her life do you think Kate Blanchett has been, like, people have referenced carte blanche to her? Isn't that weird <laughs> that carte blanche and Kate Blanchett are kind of close? Lilith? Weird? I, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's weird. <laughs> it's not weird? Is, is that close? Do you think anybody has said carte blanche to Kate Blanchett and then had a moment of like, oh, look at this? And she said, uh, <laughs> no, it's Kate <laughs> oh, I see. I go by cart. What uh, do you do, uh, Surreal, when people mispronounce your name to your face as a joke? Go, ah, I, I, I pretend they're they're being very clever. It's <laughs> <laughs> very fun. Do you have any new pet peeves about your name, Surreal? The way people Not interact with your name? Not recently. I feel like I think because most of my interactions nowadays are, yeah, are text-based. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like people don't don't see the text for my name and misread it as something else. You know, <laughs> I guess that's good. Um, all right, number one, where are we at, Jacob? Uh, so going from a fully realized world to a game absolutely without a world, uh, my number one is Beat Saber. <laughs> 
guy. Hell yeah. Which I, is I like that answer. I think that's good. Very on brand for me, but like one best selling VR game by a mile. Really? Like, I'm I'm pretty sure it definitely yeah, was a year so. ago. Um, you can just remove the word selling from that too. I feel like <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> I mean game. it's it's one of it's absolutely my favorite VR game. It's one of my favorite games. It is just so wildly popular in a way that I kind of obviously the tech isn't as widespread, but I see people react to Beat Saber the way people reacted to Wii Sports, which is kind of. <laughs> maybe speaks to the difficulty of making a sequel because they're like, well, I already have the thing. But right. given as it's music-based and and there are a lot more things they could do, the question is, do they make Beat Saber 2 or do they just keep expanding Beat Saber as it exists now? Because the things they've added, including like the, the 90 and 360-degree levels, or such a huge change that I would have assumed that would come in a sequel. You know, I didn't think it was possible to add that to the existing framework. And so I'm not sure, other than like an expanded campaign, which, you know, looking at like Rock Band or whatever, those are never my favorite parts of rhythm games. Um, I don't know what they would add, but I, in just ter- in terms of something that I think is going to be around and influential for a long time, I think Beat Saber is is pretty huge. God, yeah, I you know I really love that answer honestly because like when I approached this list, I was thinking about fiction and narrative and like you know like the things that when when an IP creator sits down where they're like, all right, we gotta we gotta set up this world. What is this world? But Beat Saber is like a great answer. Like it's there's no story, there's no world, but it's undoubtedly an IP, like undeniably. You know, that's I think that's a really interesting answer. I mean they've they've already got they've got like arcade machines. I mean now no one can go to arcades, but like they they're like you know when have you ever walked into a like a mall arcade and it's like weird there's like a flappy bird arcade machine yeah. or like like a, a standalone guitar hero those exist for Beat Saber now. So there are already kind of multiple versions of it. It's so weird. And Facebook bought the developer Beat Games, yes. so they own Beat Saber outright at this point. Mm-hmm. That's such a weird idea. Like, I feel like I haven't really been paying enough attention to Facebook gobbling up these studios because they also got Zenzaru, who did like Sly Four, and then all those VR games, and then Ready at Dawn. Like, they've this generation, they've slowly been taking a lot of talent, and hopefully, hopefully, they get to keep pumping stuff out. Yeah, I mean, when so when when Facebook acquired them, I was actually pretty i was like oh this is the end you know i kind of backed up all my my saves and files because i assumed the reason that i love playing beat saber is all the unlicensed custom apps that people have made you know that like mr blue skies is the best track and they don't own that song and so it's just that like there exists a third-party website that people are posting these and i assumed facebook would just nuke it um but the fact that they haven't yet and it's been you know a year uh, means that I, I guess they feel like it's sustainable and they can keep going even with all the custom community content. Oh, uh, and it's, it's great. There's open. And you famously once played through the <laughs> soundtrack. That's not even fair. The soundtrack to Shrek, but not the soundtrack, no, the, the audio. <laughs> yes. What do you call the that? The audio file. Audio file Shrek. Shrek. Mp3. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I played through the the entire movie, which taught me to not spend two and a half hours in VR. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Shrek is fine. Yeah. So so it's it's one of those things where it's like it's interesting that it's such a platform that people can do their own weird things within the game. Right. Like, 
make the entire Shrek movie or whatever. Um, and it's just like, it's just kind of the best time that can be had in VR right now. And I don't think VR is going away. And so like, I don't think I will keep my Beat Saber machine as long as it lasts. <laughs> to hey, my dreams, last dreams in VR today at the time of this recording. Yeah, so. I'm excited to check that out. I don't have a PSVR, but uh, hopefully somebody around Minnesota does and will let me borrow it at some point because I want to check out some freaky dream stuff for sure. I think your friend, uh, the store Target has one uh yeah but then i don't really get along with them recently uh my number one is uh following in the same vein as no surprise just like kyle with iconoclast i don't know stardew valley um in terms of like impactful ip right it feels a little bit like that cuphead scenario about indie game out of nowhere just annihilating the sales charts it doesn't have quite the cultural impact i feel like a cuphead does no one has a jumino t-shirt that i've seen out there um, no Netflix adaptation for Stardew Valley. I'm the sure world. there have been discussions, right? Uh, I mean, probably, but, yeah. Yeah, but it's a fascinating story. And in terms of like IP and where it could go in the future, you know, Eric Baroni at some point, the creator teased that he wanted to make a game about collecting bugs. And so if that's even set in the same world, that's so exciting. And that seems like one where it's like, okay, it's called Stardew Valley. Pelican Down is kind of the, the star of the show there. So there's still plenty of room you could have another game called Stardew Valley. It's just another area within the valley, right? Like, I feel like they can still ring that lemon in the future if they want to in some way. Stardew I Valley mean, he, colon bug snacks? Is that what I'm hearing? Collecting <laughs> bugs? Oh, you're hearing that right. <laughs> he did. He said something that he had, like, basically along the lines of, like, I've got two projects that I'm working on. One does take place in the world of Stardew Valley. Oh, that's right. So I yeah I was looking to see if maybe I could quickly find the exact thing and I could not but that basically that was it summarized like two things one is in Stardew Valley and then he also followed it up being like don't get too excited <laughs> please keep your hype levels in check you know yeah but it's gonna have a Bakugan at the end just don't don't get too excited <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get Bakugan um hey that's it best new IP of the generation eh. You want to go through some bonus ones though, right? Yeah. Well, let's let's before we do that, okay. let's go through what do you guys think was like the biggest miss of new IP uh, this generation? It's easy to focus on like some small little games that failed, but what I'm interested in is the big publisher points at the bleachers. It takes a huge swing, and it's like, eh, not so much. I mean, what do you, I what think we already said it, right? It's, it's Anthem. I do think it's Anthem too. Well. Hanson, you posed this question on Twitter. Yeah, and you tweet you, and I was thinking about it, but then you had like a follow up tweet, and I was like, oh, I think you nailed it with Battleborn. With Battleborn, yeah. Or I mean, the fact that the, the the thing that you shared was a trailer for a mobile Battleborn game, <laughs> and like Battleborn showed up in Ready Player One, and it's like doesn't you can't even play it right now, right? Like, right. It's, I wonder if you Anthem, can play you Battleborn. Can at least still play. Can you play Battleborn Tap, that mobile game? Do you think they also took that offline? Because that one would be cheaper. still going strong. (laughs) It's actually near the top of the charts. Battleborn is an interesting case. So Metacritic-wise, Battleborn's at 68. Not that has to be the the be-all, end-all. Anthem's sitting at 54 on Metacritic, which is brutal overall. Battleborn, it's it's a tough thing because even looking at those two, I've played those two games. I think Anthem is a more enjoyable game than Battleborn and a more interesting game than Battleborn. So it's weird that the reviews are punishing it for its ambition, but I understand it has a lot of problems out of the gate. 
Battleborn is an easy one to kick, and it's tough because, like, you know, those developers busted their ass trying to make that thing. I think just when it gets wrapped up with Randy Pitchford and a little bit of ego, it can be an easy horse to kick, even after it's dead after a long while. But at the same time, I remember going to Gearbox for that cover story trip on Battleborn back at Game Informer, and, like, I, I was into their pitch of hey, uh, we really think it's important to make new IP. We wanted to make new IP this generation. We're taking a stab at it. You know, they're like, the easy route would be to make Borderlands 3, but like, hats off to the team for wanting to make something new. Hats off to 2K for funding something new entirely. And so it's so tough when like, I think so much of that goodwill now is just lost because it's easy to say, ha ha, Battleborn, you came out around the time of Overwatch and now you suck. I mean, you have the benefit of that context from literally visiting the developer, right. <laughs> but you could say that about any new IP. Anthem, right. like they had the EA had the faith to fund that game, and you know they could have. Well, I guess they tried to make another Mass Effect, and it didn't go that well. But I, th- you know, I also I, yeah, I think know. the 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 kind of interesting comparison there is like Anthem is a crappy game that is still delivering something that I want and don't have. You know, it's like, right. I really want a functional anthem. Like, the the kind of ideal of what that game could be sounds amazing. And the ideal of what Battleborn is, is is Overwatch, right? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Well, no. it's like this weird... Me- so, like, my hot take on Battleborn is I actually kind of liked it. when I Yeah, it hell yeah. yeah. So, uh, there but, it is. But I totally acknowledge it, like, that it, it is not... Like, it in... I, I reviewed it for Venture... Or for Games Beat, and I acknowledge that it's like, yeah, it's kind of... In a in a space that I don't think it's gonna win, like it's I don't think this is gonna do well, regardless of how much I like it. Um, but like, I, I I think for me when it comes to like Battleborn and Anthem is I, I think it's a lot easier to forget Battleborn in that it just like Gearbox was able to eat that game's loss basically. Just oh okay, cool, we have Borderlands three in the chamber, we'll just fire that off and we're totally fine now. Whereas I think people will talk about Anthem for a long time as like this thing with a, with a scarlet letter on it. That yeah, I that, feel like that, no one had super high hopes for for battle. Like no one no one was kind yeah. of like riding their like Iron Man fantasy, you know, which which Anthem was on Battleborn. Right. And and if you look at like Anthem as like part of the Bioware, you know company like people the uh, you can very easily point to anthem and say this is the reason that mass effect wasn't as good as it maybe could have been or like here's why we're not we don't have another dragon age and like also now suddenly after the failure of both andromeda and anthem bioware feels like it's in these in this super dire situation whereas gearbox feels like it's they're fine you know like i i, I think yeah. that like culture like maybe uh, financially maybe battleborn was kind of a failure and as a game i think uh, more people probably like anthem but like in terms of cultural impact i think the negativity around anthem it feels more intense and more like frustrating than kind of battleborn which is at the end of the day just the thing that's like oh that's a nice curio that gearbox at some point made a game between borderlands uh games that wasn't borderlands <laughs> yeah for sure and like to go back to you know jacob comparing it to overwatch like the pitch was very much hey, with Borderlands, we combined a first-person shooter with Diablo. What if we combined a first-person shooter with a MOBA? And, like, that was the goal they're going for. Like, each build or each game, you're creating your character, choosing different paths, upgrading along the way. So, yeah, that was the the general idea. And it seems like one of those where I bet on paper, publishers are like, well, those are big genres. (laughs) Why not combine them? But it just hasn't quite clicked. 
Yeah, and I think it was weird for them pitching it as is like here's this super deep game with like all these elements and, and, right. and kind of high level strategy. They kind of put the cart before the horse uh, of like, no, this is a game built for esports. You're gonna really like it. It's gonna be like super high level competitive play. And when it came out, like I know that you know obviously people associate Overwatch with like high level competitive play at this point. But when it started, that game didn't have a competitive mode. It was just quick play or nothing. And so it was just like, it felt like the exact opposite of Battleborn in that, oh, this is just a casual thing you just jump into. Here are all these fun characters. How do you play them? I don't know. Like as Roadhog, you just fire the hook and that's it. Like that's really your, you have a shotgun. It's it's super simple. Yeah. Um, and obviously they in, like they introduced a lot of competitive, competitive elements at the end, but it, it just felt like this weird um, miss in terms of how they were pitching that game even. Yeah. Uh, in terms of other misses, everybody likes to crap on Evolve as well. That was one that I was looking forward to. I still think that game, if you have a group, can be a fun time. Uh, but that was another bit of a swing and a miss from 2K overall. Uh, is there anything, anything else jumped to anybody else's mind for misses this generation? Uh, it, it is weird, though, that you mentioned Evolve because I feel like a lot of the games, like, it felt like uh evolve walked so a bunch of other games could run you know like dead by daylight is huge at yeah. this point and it's kind of built on a similar premise of like for uh, this asymmetrical multiplayer game where four people are one party and then here's a super powered other entity that is hunting them down um and you know there's like the the friday the 13th game which defying all expectations seems to have i i want to say the last thing i read about that game was that it was doing okay but there was also some weird thing that stopped it from like there was some weird legal thing so yeah it's the the ownership the legal rights for that ip became entangled and so literally the developers are in a spot where they cannot update the game legally they cannot patch the game anymore so it's just kind of like all right you're on your own buddy but it's still yeah. online and playable right? yeah like, like, it's yeah, it's okay. a bizarre state um, um you know i there's like there's a lot of one-offs, obviously, that, like, maybe weren't meant to be IP, but I feel like some that, like, I wouldn't even call them, like, failures. I feel like that's too strong a word, but yeah. just kind of, like, looking at this list I have, ARMS, I feel like, wasn't the big hit right. that Nintendo probably wanted it to be. That's a, that's a fair one, for sure. That's a miss. Um, Knack is kind of a, a meme more than it is, like, a well-regarded game, even though I, yeah. I think anyone who's Even though the actually, first game sold well enough to, for there to be two games. Yeah, yeah, and I think if you ask someone who actually played and beat Knack, they're usually like, oh, yeah, that, that's a solid platformer. You know? Hang on, we'll get Mintrax's Matt Helgeson on the phone real <laughs> quick. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah, you gave that game a good review, I think. Oh, yeah, give it an eight. Um, I uh, think one that stood out for me, and it's not like... I think the genre specifically is tough to make it stand out, is like, we're hanging everything on this... Shelf? Is that the expression? I don't know. The point is, um, the crew, I think, was one. Oh, that sure. was a bit of a miss yeah. generation. Ubisoft getting two cracks at that, and it never really panned out. There's always yeah. huge gaps in what people wanted from that thing. There was, it's, yeah, the, it's interesting, because also Drive Club, right? Yep, yep. Like, racing games, it you have to be established, apparently. Like, the, the racing games that have done well have already been a thing. Yeah, is that, is that it's the case? The best racing new IP of the generation is Rocket League, and to call it racing is wildly inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I feel like there's what Project Cars, but even that feels yeah. like it's a marginal success yeah. no, compared I think, to I something. Think it did well, it's yeah, I think Project Cars sold really well. Yeah, but that's that's a good example for sure. Yeah. I also um, feel like the the order 1886. I think if that had done better, yeah. I think you would have seen another game, and a, a, like, yeah. and that was like Ready of Dawn's kind of. Hey, we're like we're really here to play this generation. We're not just going to do ports or whatever. Like P and and Vita and PSP games. We're like here's our big new console game, and it just didn't like really like the. It wasn't. I don't think people regarded it as a, as like a complete travesty or failure, but I think people just kind of forgot about that game. 
you know. There's a there's a passionate fan base out there. Like every time we did several times we had interviews with Ready at Dawn back at Game Informer. There's so many people in the comments are like, "More order, please!" Like, I would love to meet the world's biggest order fan because like they they packed a lot of universe into that game. There's enough to chew on that I'm, I'm sure there's some deviant art out there. Yeah. Did it I think end it, with a cliffhanger? No. No. Uh, no. Okay. It, it's actually pretty resolved from what I remember. Yeah. The other one in that vein of like solid, but just kind of unremarkable, just didn't really make a big impact. I feel like maybe Quantum Break yeah. could fit in there. Like Red- Remedy, I feel like they are eager to make franchises. You know, they wanted Alan Wake to be a, a sequel. They made multiple Max Payne games. Control seems like it's on track to, you know, be a game with sequels. But Quantum Break, like, just was kind of one and done, and everyone was just kind of like, yeah, that's fine, you know? Yeah, um, I wonder, I- do you think that's a... That is an exact comparison where Sony's Quantum Break is Order 1886 and vice versa. Are those two on the same level culturally at this point? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. They're close, uh, certainly. Yeah. It, it, I'm sure it sold fine, but Sunset Overdrive uh, feels like it just disappeared. Um, yeah. You know, that that I, I would be shocked to ever see a Sunset Overdrive follow-up uh, based on everything that they're doing now instead yeah and it's that confusing thing as well where sony now owns the sunset overdrive ip along with insomniac i forget is that the arrangement i mean it's on yeah it's on pc uh also yeah it's like you can get it everywhere yeah that's a good one for sure where it's like you know beloved but at the same time in terms of hey we're getting out of the gate with a huge ip out of the gate from insomniac and then out of the gate back um do you think um steep counts from ubisoft I think that did pretty well. Do you think? Right? I I felt oh. like well, uh, I don't know. I don't know how well a an extreme sports game that's not Tony Hawk like can do. Right. Um, I I felt like that game had a lot of fans, but I don't know what their expectations were of it. I mean, it, it got a sequel, right? Or was it just a big expansion? I don't think don't there's a steep no. two. I don't Wasn't there like an so. Olympics? Like an Olympics? There was I remember, something. I remember there yes. being some sort of new content for steep. I don't yeah. know if it's a. Yes, uh, hang on. Mario and Sonic at the steep games. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh. I play an, ex- an extreme snowboarding game with Sonic. There was it? What did you discover? The X Games Pass. Uh, oh, Road to Olympics DLC. There we okay, go. So it's DLC. So yes. there literally was what, what uh, Jacob described. <laughs> yeah, look at this. Oh, number one. Oh, on Wikipedia, they cite Matthew Cotto, former coworker. Um, and then apparently in January 2020 reports about a sequel to Steep first surfaced when an anonymous source claimed that development was deep into the production phase. They were deep on Steep? Hell yes, they're deep on they Steep. They were deep oh, into the production Jacob phase. Jacob hated that joke so much that he loved <laughs> No, Jacob, no, they aren't, they aren't deep on Steep. Um, <laughs> he was the anonymous source. <laughs> Should we? Okay, is the uh, number one indisputable IP of the generation, say it with me on the count of three, one, two, three. Fortnite. Fortnite. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I mean, is there any debate? Flossing. I don't know. I mean, Destiny, I think Destiny could be up there, but I mean, like, the ubiquity of Fortnite is just off the charts, man. Like, I, everyone knows Fortnite, and it's like, it's a, this huge franchise. Like, when, when did Roblox come out? Is that this generation? Because I saw a thing today that said that half of all American children play Roblox. I believe it. By law. Oh, my God. Apparently, Roblox came out 2006. (laughs) Six? Well, 
We need Anna on this show to explain more about yeah. Roblox at some point. I mean, in the that future. one's tough. I've I have over my daughter's shoulder uh, sort of gotten into Roblox a little bit, but like it, it's. I mean, it's closer to like dreams, you know. Like right, consider, if you right. consider dreams an IP, it's more about what people use with these interesting tools, you know. And right. it's simplified in such a way where even kids are like understanding how to build things. Like it, it is way less intimidating than something like dreams to like build something and i think that's what's so uh i guess charming i guess about it is like you can make your own game pretty quickly in roblox and it and the 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 community is so vast that it actually does get picked up and the way they sort of like the the sort of the front page of roblox is like always different in terms of showing you like new stuff that people have made but yeah i mean like you could it is it is something that is licensed and sold in you know toy aisles is roblox toys and stuff like that so it does have a definable like style. Yeah. You know? Could you imagine if they sold Dreams toys two years from now? Like, what would those even look like? Oh, so you make your own and then you send it to them and then they send it back. It's like that thing where you can get a model of your own MMO <laughs> character or something. Yeah, I think I mean, it would just be a tub of clay. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy your dream stuff, everybody. I'm also looking at the uh, Wikipedia article for Roblox and it goes places. Oh, really? There are, yeah. There, there, uh, there's like the subsection community and culture players anti-racism efforts effects of the COVID-19 <laughs> I mean, pandemic like good? the fact that Roblox has its own COVID section of just like <laughs> here's how this affected the game oh boy it's a, it's a living game alright um, so quickly running down some publishers uh, here's a rough ranking tell me if you all disagree um, which publisher do you think had the weakest amount of new IP this generation completely new IP EA Nintendo? EA Oh, EA Nintendo. is Nintendo is down there. So Nintendo, I guess, if you count the Wii U, it's like Devil's Third, Splatoon, Arms, Ever Oasis. If we're going 3DS, <laughs> you hear me out there, Ever Oasis fans. Uh, Steel <gasps> Diver. Uh, there, there's a hodgepodge, <laughs> but it's it's pretty far down there, right? Uh, EA also rough generation Anthem, and then. A way out and like I mean, unravel, it's all fee, right? Like yeah. it's all those I mean, little indie projects, right? Timefall counts, right? That's theirs, isn't there? Isn't or does oh, it respawn guess, on it? Yeah, well, hang so, on. Yeah. Well, that first game, yeah, Microsoft would have gotten that one, I guess. They published it, but yeah. I, so I mean, it feels like a Mass Effect situation then, where it's like yeah. it's technically A's franchise, but that first game is. Microsoft's well, but even that goes other places. Yeah, that's confusing. That's kind of like a weird split. But I guess we could, because e- I guess EA f- funded it. Yeah, so I guess it would be EA. You're right. Yeah, I and guess then we let that be Apex Legends. So I guess you know, congrats EA on eventually having a, <laughs> a game people bought. You know what? You're right. EA moved, deserves to move up a couple notches. Um, another one that's uh, pretty rough for the generation: uh, Warner Brothers, known for oh, their sure. IP. So why create new stuff? I mean, they co-published Dying Light. Uh, Dying Light is on my honorable mentions. Just oh, to, really? To, I, I really like that, and it, I think it's sold way better than most people think. Uh, and Dying Light 2, I'm pretty psyched for. Well, it's given them literally all the time in the world to make the sequel, so yeah. it's done pretty well. It's, uh, it was also weird because Injustice, I debated putting on my... It was like on my <laughs> right. honorable mentions, but it's like a weird thing. Where it's like it's technically based on, you know, but, you know, it's this weird future off-brand version. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't yeah. Put it I mean, on they've always got scribble knots. Right, God bless them. Oh, uh, speaking of Warner Brothers, uh, weren't they uh, Middle Earth Shadow of Blank? Yeah, but that's still Lord of the Rings IP. That's, this is this is when I asked on the Slack like what 
what we were doing because I I feel like the the Shadow of Mordor stuff is like such a new IP in every way except it's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right. They're still couching it in big way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely worth noting as an asterisk new IP. It feels like a new IP for the generation, even though technically mm-hmm. it gets murky if you look too much into it. But yeah. that's a weird case too of like a success. They got to make two of them. They're funky, weird, big games. I think they're oh, cool. Shadow of War was bad like that's oh. that's the other reason that I, I wasn't on it's like the first game is amazing and then it was like we all thought everyone was going to do that concept and then no one else did and also their follow-up was not good so like i don't know what you do with that what didn't you like about shadow of war it seemed like they were leaning more into the systemic stuff it was yes but too much i mean it was like everything was much bigger but what that meant was like um Instead of one kind of like tree of enemies that you would work your way up, you had one for each landmass of which there were like three or four. And so you never really got to know any of the enemies and mm. and your character got was very powerful very quickly. And so often the first time I met like a guy, I would just kill him and then you wouldn't get the kind of like interesting back and forths. And so it just felt like the the smaller version of the game worked better that's interesting yeah um okay quick rundown again banda namco uh tough tough generation like project cars little nightmares if you want to go into that twin mirror which will be coming out in theory this year as well i mean Uh, so many anime adaptations yeah right yeah Yeah. 2k evolve and battleborn but then they have that subset private division that created stuff like outer worlds that's another a weird murky one square enix this generation an interesting one. Are you guys ready to hear the name of a game that you have not heard in six years? The Quiet Man. No, <laughs> no but a quiet, the Quiet Man is on there. Remember me. Oh, wait, that's Capcom. Oh. Yep, no. That's a good uh, game, though. Murdered Soul Suspect. Uh, remember that oh, game? I remember that one. I watched uh, my wife play and beat that game. Oh, wow, there we go. Yeah. But yeah, screen it's too bad the Murdered franchise never took off. <laughs> <laughs> Shadow of Murdered. Uh, so Square Enix also had Life is Strange, I Am Setsuna, Lost Sphere, Onunaki, those weird games. Quiet Man, of course. Left Alive. I guess you could call that a big swing. No one has ever talked about it uh, the week after it was released. Octopath Traveler. Outriders, which is going to be split gens. That's a confusing thing from uh, People Can Fly. And then like Babylon's Fall as well. Um, one I didn't recap is uh, Capcom. What was Capcom's new IP this generation? When was Dragon's Dogma released? That was last gen. Was yeah. Last gen. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. I don't um, know. There must be something. I mean, we're all drawing blanks here. I mean, that's not a good sign. Hold on. Bad job, Capcom. With new <laughs> IP. While we're searching, I did really like Life is Strange. Like, that's on my honorable mentions. Yeah. I think that's a really strong new IP. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even and like, I mean, just also, I like Until Dawn, you know, was one that I had, which is kind of falls in that sort of way because now they're bandai's publishing that you know yeah for sure uh okay so we can come back to kickbomb later but uh ubisoft this generation had for honor watchdogs steep the crew and then kind of gods and monsters even though it's probably going to be split gen again so that gets murky microsoft this generation rise son of rome zoo tycoon if you want to count it uh sea mm. of thieves bleeding edge grounded will be out this generation um Sunset Overdrive, Crimson Dragon, uh, D4, Project Spark, Quantum Break, Ori, ReCore. 
There's oh, a swing. Yeah. Uh, did I mention Bleeding Edge? Yes, I think I did. So, you know, when you round up Microsoft, it's not as bad as I was expecting. There's a couple. They really tried, but they just couldn't find anything that stuck. Yeah. Kinda... Like, in terms of that entire batch, it is Ori that would be looking good going into next generation in terms of projects yeah. that they funded. Well, and then, yeah, yes. Yeah, I'm thinking ahead of like, well, what about Hellblade 2? But that that was, yeah, they they yeah. don't really get credit for that one, yeah. The, the crowdfunding community gets credit. Um, Activision Blizzard, not a lot of swings, but when your three swings are Sekiro, Destiny, and Overwatch, it's like, tough to argue with. Although it's not, Destiny isn't looking real strong for them going forward. Well, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, no connection. Um, you know, maybe this won't be surprising, but looking at Sony, uh, and the amount of new IP that they funded this generation is pretty amazing. So they have Knack, Drive Club, Bloodborne, The Order 1886, Until Dawn, Last Guardian, I guess. Uh, no Man's Sky is kind of that murky thing. It was more of just helping release and stuff. Uh, Neo, Detroit Become Human, Days Gone, Death Stranding, Dreams, and Ghost of Tsushima. That's that's a hell of a lineup for this generation. Also, overall. none yeah. of us mentioned uh, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, um, of like course. in our lists. Oh my like, god! Yeah, I didn't even include that here. You know, the, the PS5 not launch title, but like probably the thing most people are excited about for PS5. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it was on my like uh, honorable mention list for sure. And just in turn, like I feel like that's a huge swing for a studio going to go from Killzone to that. It's, yeah. it's huge, and it paid off. You know? And for sure, I mean, in terms of new IP that was funded this generation, that's going to be flowering and growing next generation i mean it's got to be number one i mean it's just like you know making kind of an iconic character is really hard and i think like if if playstation was going to make a playstation all-stars today yeah aloy would probably be on the front of that cover oh absolutely which is is like it's other than kratos what do you got there uh sam porter bridges dude that guy can carry that whole game it's and Cat is back. Gravity Rush. Come on. <laughs> well, she was in the first one. Oh, that's true. Don't you forget so it. She was last IP. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Rapid fire honorable mentions. What haven't we mentioned for new IP from this generation that we should tip a cap to? Uh, we talked a little about Control, Hellblade. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I had La- so Last Guardian one. written down, but I wasn't sure because I feel like that's an ICO universe game. Well, you know? not explicitly. I mean, I don't think there will ever be a, uh, a Last Guardian franchise. Also, Hellblade, <laughs> I, I definitely didn't have because I don't want a second one. Like, isn't yeah. that... Uh, well, you're that, getting one. I know, but <laughs> like, it doesn't feel like it should exist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's uh, definitely one of those I want another Ninja Theory game. Yeah. It's almost really cheating, but Bloodstained was on my list for a little while. Yeah, okay. I have that. Why would you think that's cheating? Because it's like, it may as well be a sequel to Castlevania. And it's like very similar. It's like Advanced War Squad Roof kind of thing. But yeah. I, no, I think prefer. that totally belongs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one's Dead murky. Cells. Oh, Dead Cells, of course. Uh, Drawn to Death. <laughs> Come on, man. That that flowering <laughs> franchise that everyone loves and has played Devotion. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, of course, Serial. Uh, uh, Ape Out. Does uh, Jack- Jackbox Party Pack count as IP? I. Yes, but it, that's not this generation, I don't think. Right? Yeah. Well, it's weird because it, it's... What? Couldn't you see that as like a spinoff of You Don't Know Jack? I guess mm. so, but it, it's a spinoff that then consumed You Don't Know Jack like a child that ate their father, so... I mean, that's Persona, you know? <laughs> like, I, I guess mean, so. It happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but it literally is contained with it. It's, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's just prolific. Ne- there we go. 
Uh, I also had like Overcooked, Neo, uh, Ring Fit Adventure. It's like a huge hit now. Oh, interesting. So yeah. yeah. That might get a sequel. Sea of Thieves kind of started slow, but is now really strong. Right. Shovel Knight, Snipper Clips. Well, we mentioned show. Oh, no, wait. That was hollow. That's the other night. Sorry. <laughs> the other night. <laughs> the other yes, night, night R.E.P. Uh, wonderful 101, Zombie U. You can tell that I was looking at Wii U games. <laughs> Good job. Uh, uh, what about uh, yeah. Goat Simulator? Does that count? Simulator a- games. It, like the, yeah. the simulator diaspora, basically. Yeah. Diaspora, right. wherever you pronounce that word. But like, we- yeah, just Farming Simulator. It might be like one of the one of more influential IPs. Oh, was it before 2013? Oh, I remember watching a, like, Farming Simulator meme video in, like, my high school biology class. (laughs) Oh, okay. It was Um, not part of the curriculum. But then there's, like, I can't imagine all those are made by the same people. So it's like, does it count if there was a game with Simulator in the title released after 2013 that has technically no ties to something like Farming Simulator that was just really popular? It's Like, Trucking Simulator, is that by the same... Is that, does that, that count as being question. in the same franchise? No, that, that's not the same franchise at all. Um, what about uh, City Skylines? I think that one's yeah, going to be good. A, a good brand moving into the future. Did we talk about, uh, in terms of longevity, like Jacob's example of games that we'll still probably be talking about in like a decade, Rocket League, I think, yep. might fit in that mold. Yeah. Uh, uh, Unravel got two entries, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, super yeah. hot. Uh, yeah. Which, by the way... That new entry called Super Hot Mind Control Delete. The more I think about it, the more I think that is one of the best titles I've heard in a long time. It is a badass name for a new Super Hot game. Yeah, I had um, a the uh, Evil Within. Verge. Oh yeah, yeah, the Evil Within. Oh, of course. Yeah, Which I didn't include I really, Bethesda on that one. I really like uh, the Evil Within two specifically, but like that's that series isn't going anywhere. Evil Within two was was not a not a hot ticket. Yeah. I had a Axiom Verge, which is getting a sequel. Ah, uh, uh, that might—that Hearst... I guess was technically last generation, though. Was it? Didn't it come on like 2014? I, I played it on PS3 for the first time. I'm almost. Was certain. it really? Yeah. Huh. I could be wrong about that, but. Uh, and then, uh, Gone Home was 2013, on PC. Yeah. It was like late 2013. Okay. Yeah, uh, pretty sure. That's a confusing one, but yeah, yeah. We're not the only one with thoughts here. Uh, the wonderful Midmax community um, has helped us out and made a community hive mind list of what they consider the 10 best new IP, that's a weird way to phrase it, in the video game space this generation. So folks in the Discord compiled a list of what they thought was the best new IP of the generation, boiled it down, people ranked them. So this is the hive mind Midmax community as official as it gets, baby. <laughs> Kyle, they, do you have that list? It. I do. It's right in front of me. Please take it away. Spider-Man PS4. <laughs> yeah, wait, hold on a second. Uh, okay, uh, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some overlap here. Okay, unsurprisingly, uh, we got number ten, Titanfall. Great. Yeah. So they got that one right. Number nine, Overwatch. Excellent. Eight, Disco Elysium. Wow. Ooh, we got a smart nice. community. Look at that. Another one for serial here. Seven, Destiny. Yeah. Okay. Good great. job. <laughs> you did it. Good job, Capcom. Um, six. Hollow Knight. Wow. wow. I'm surprised yeah. at how much this is overlapping with our individual lists. Well, here's here's where the split happened. Oh, okay, no. now, now it's time to get angry. Five, no. Roblox. Four, <laughs> Roblox. <laughs> this is actually number five, maybe the most 
Maybe the most interesting entry here because it's one that like I feel like we didn't touch at all, but it's uh, Celeste. What? Okay. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. That's okay. interesting. It is. It's definitely a good game. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much franchise potential that has, but it it's a good game. It's, it's, a, it's a good original game. So it almost out. feels like a spinoff, some ways of like Towerfall, like kind. I guess just mechanically. I don't know. Yeah. You know, so maybe it would spin off again. I mean, she's like, like she's a good character. Like people yeah. like, do you know that? Although I can't remember her name. Is it? <laughs> Isn't her name? I know. No, because the mountain is Celeste. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a Celeste's monster. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> there we go. Uh, okay, number four, Cuphead. Wow. Okay. Old, uh, old T-shirt character themselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three, Hanson. You'll be happy about this. Bloodborne. Oh, great. Okay, somebody. That game that you love, right, Hanson? <laughs> I don't hate <laughs> it. So many times. You just wanted to make sure we talked about it. Yeah, yeah not, it feels no like respect to Bloodborne. Just you know, none yeah. of our favorites necessarily. Uh, number two, Control. What? Very high. Wow. Above Bloodborne. Above Bloodborne. Min Max community. The You're crazy community. in that Discord, man. Crazy. Yeah, I think recent, recency probably has a lot to do with it, though, right? I think. Yeah, but Ghost of Tsushima isn't on here. <laughs> Yeah, that's well. true. But people are still deciding whether or not. Unlike most people, most people haven't played through the game yet. Kyle, that's true. Yeah. I do forget that. And bright. then uh, number one, Horizon Zero Dawn. Wow, really? Wow. Yeah, you you said that like, of course. I think that's really surprising. Well, it's funny because when we talked about it, even just recently, we were kind of like, oh, and of course, we didn't talk enough about Horizon Zero Dawn. Right. Right. Know? Well, yeah. So. Like, I, I'm I'm not surprised that it makes the list. I'm super surprised it's number one. Yeah, but sure. hey, yeah. Thank you, everybody in the MinMax community for voting. We'll do more community top 10 lists in the future. Thank you for the mods for organizing that. That's very sweet. Uh, yes, always we very it. appreciated. Hell yeah. Anyways, hey, new IP. Good job, developers. Yeah. Uh, let us know what we missed in the comments, your favorite new IP of the generation. If we did not get to it, please let us know. I mean, it is something when you suggested. I really liked the idea of it being a discussion for the show. Yeah. But, like, it, when I started, the list ended up being longer than I expected it to be. Right. Like, when I started putting things together, I was like, oh, I guess they're, because I, you immediately think of, like, ah, it's all Call of Duties now and Maddens, but it's like, no, they, they're putting out a lot of original games. A lot of them are coming from indies, but I, th I think even the big publishers are, are trying some stuff, you know, which is yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, Jacob Geller, do you know how this whole indie thing operates on our end? Uh, intellectual property? That's right. The MinMax show is our intellectual property <laughs> that we share with the community. Uh, but no, Jacob Geller, there's a thing called Patreon, a thing you're very oh. familiar with, yes? I, I, I've been around. Okay, fantastic. If you want to support us, keep the whole indie trainer rolling here. You can go to patreon.com slash MinMax 2Ns. We'd appreciate the support. Um, a couple things. This Thursday at 6 p.m. Central on our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash minmaxshow, we have a new episode of Refreshed on Adiaz's show. This episode is going to be interesting. It's all about how GIFs have brought back lost movies back to the cultural forefront. So stuff like Road to El Dorado, which has a surprisingly strong GIF presence on the internet, much more than in any other discussion about movies. Um, oh, so what's please that one in... where Brad Pitt gets hit by two cars? 
Do you mean <laughs> Joe Black? Joe Black? <laughs> yeah, because that that came back purely through gifts. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They actually, if you I saw think... the the new Blu-ray release of Mitchell Black, they just call it Brad Pitt gets hit by two cars. That's the new name, like on the Target <laughs> oh, shelf. So yeah. they changed it from the old name of this one has the Star Wars Episode One trailer in front <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, they're okay. just constantly rebooting that name, Mitchell Black. <laughs> but uh, please check that out if you tune in live at 6 p.m. Central on our Twitch channel on Thursday. Uh, you can ask questions along the way. Otherwise, we have that archive up in the Patreon exclusive podcast feed and then also on our YouTube channel. Also, heads up that next week we're bringing back Photo Mode Snap for Ghost of Tsushima, uh, a special bonus episode of uh, Photo Mode Snap. So Kyle and I will be reviewing your screenshots or screen movies, whatever those are called, from that game. Should be a fun roundup of a lot of interesting shots from a very beautiful game overall. Also, we just added a new goal on Patreon for a new show. If we hit 16K on Patreon, we're going to create a monthly show where we unload all of our thoughts on what we've been watching. So TV shows, movies. I want to talk about podcasts in there as well. I know Anna is dying to talk about Succession. Uh, so let's hit that Put goal. Put me so on like, that show. Okay, there we go. It should be a fun time. So if we hit that goal together, we'll create that show uh, as well. Also, uh, here's the thing. Jacob Geller, do you ever have a, um, do you ever use like a Nintendo Switch grip? Oh, no, but it's always sliding out of my hands. See, exactly. It's like a bar of soap trying to hold that thing. No, so this company called Satisfy, I reached out to a while ago. They make these Switch grips that you slide your Switch into in handheld mode. It makes it so comfortable. I really genuinely cannot go back to playing just bare bones Switch in handheld mode. It just feels too flat and bizarre. So they have this Satisfy Switch grip, and they agreed to give two away to members of the Minimax community. So if you're listening to this... If you enjoy MinMax content, thank you. If you tweet out your favorite piece of MinMax content and explain why you like it and like MinMax overall, perhaps, if you do like us, that'd be cool, and include the hashtag GamesFriendsGettingBetter, uh, I will randomly select from that, and then Satisfy will ship out two Switch grips to you wonderful folks out there. So again, tweet out your favorite MinMax content and include the hashtag GamesFriendsGettingBetter. And then within a couple weeks, I'll round those up, randomly choose a winner, and ship that out. Should be a fun time. Um, we have a bunch of supporters here that are just lovely over on Patreon. We have Bambox. They say, all right, MinMaxers, orders for GamerBox number one closed July 15th, and we hope you didn't miss out as we're able to get one of the rarest voice actors in all of gaming in that box. You'll have to watch some unboxing videos to see who. But... We decided to let you guys be the first to hear the new franchises for box number two. If you've never grabbed a BAM box before, well, we're not called the ultimate collector's experience for nothing. Your membership gets you a box that contains exclusive art, collector's pins, replica props, and of course, a celebrity autograph certified by Beckett. Gamer box number two will contain collectible items from Resident Evil, Battletoads, Final Fantasy VII, and more. This box comes with a guaranteed signed Funko Pop. You can grab yours now at thebambox.com. Boxes start at $29.99 or limited to just $2,500 each. By joining, you'll also become a member of our exclusive community full of geeks, gamers, and horror fanatics where there's always something going on. Because at BAM, we're more than just a box. What's that, Jacob? Because at BAM, we're more than just a box. There we go. And they can't wait to meet you. Thank you to BAM Box for your support. Also, thanks to Beaten Down Brian. Beaten Down Brian says, do you crave a deepest dive on Dark Souls 1 in the same way you long to be as grossly incandescent as the sun? 
Well, tough, because there isn't one. But there is the next best thing. Introducing the Darkest Dive from the MinMax community, hosted by Bob Buell, Adam Walker, Rob Hudak. They, along with the help of the community at large, seek to break down every aspect of this game during a boss-length six-hour podcast. Just go to Bob Buell's YouTube channel to find it or search Dark Souls Darkest Dive to find it. Thank you, Beaten Down Brian, for supporting us and plugging the community's content at the same time. Also, thanks to I Am 8-Bit, one of our biggest supporters. We really appreciate it. Uh, they recently announced that they're releasing a 7-inch vinyl with the single It's Bug Snacks that's going to be releasing later this year. So that's a, a very that's so smart, smart idea. That's so smart. <laughs> yes, but at the same time, they have an untitled Goose Game blowout. Uh, they have a lot of stuff. The vinyl soundtrack uh, for Untitled Goose Game, an amazing soundtrack overall. You should check out this box art uh, for this thing. It's made from reclaimed vinyl, quote, grind. A, it's a random color because, hey, it's recycled. And it's innovative, eco-friendly packaging that's 100% recycled. Every part of the soundtrack is recycled as hell. Uh, so if you buy the soundtrack in tandem with the production of this record, a donation will be made to the Carbon Fund overall which is very nice. Also, you can get Untitled Goose Game on PS4 or Switch, only available at im8bit.com, an actual physical version of it with awesome packaging, also eco-friendly packaging. So please check that out. It comes with the Spring Summer Plaza catalog, a 24-page mail-order style circular, uh, a fold-out town map hand-drawn by Marigold Bartlett, a no-goose sticker, and it is region-free. So support us, support im8bit. You can go to im8bit store and use the promo code MINMAX for 10% off. Now, Kyle, the reason you're here still, the main reason, is we have our prize, the I Am 8-Bit Question of the Week winner. They're going to get something very great this week. If you want to win in the future, you can support us at any tier and leave a question, and we'll read it on the show. But this week, our favorite comment or question is going to win. What's it going to be? We have inside pins from I Am 8-Bit. A limbo pin from I Am 8-Bit. Uh, a funky sticker with a secret cheat code on it. And then look at this. The Mega Man 2 NES cartridges that I am 8-bit recreated with the original Mega Man 2 box art on this thing. Or I guess a new version of the Mega Man 2 box art. Uh, very, very limited edition. I am 8-bit packaging on the back uh, for the 30th anniversary of Mega Man overall. So, hell of a prize from I am 8-bit. And again, you can go to I am 8-bit store if you want this as well. But, our favorite question this week will win all of this stuff. So it should be a very tough competition. Kyle, this is your yeah. package. Yeah, what's the what's the code thing? What is that? Uh, we'll have to figure it out. It's a little bit of a secret. Oh. Uh, and you won't have a chance to figure it out because we actually are going to make room for Leo Vader to come in. So would you mind clapping out, sir? Yeah, let's, let's, let's upgrade my square. <laughs> okay, bye. Here he is, Leo Vader. Hello. How's it going, man? Fine, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> going great. Oh, good. Um, yeah, what has your first week at MinMax been like? Weirder than you imagined? No, honestly, chiller than I imagined. Okay. It's like, been on a couple streams, got more coming up, writing some essay stuff. It's like really just all my favorite parts about being in this business so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We had like our, our first meeting and I was really pleased with how that went. You know, a lot of like coming away with actionable stuff to do. It's like, I'm feeling good about the team. Oh, nice. Um, and your video essays in general, do you have a time frame in mind? Next week. Fantastic. We should be launching. Great. We've got a title. 
we have a title, which I was very excited about because Leo had a couple great ideas for a title. And then I have that dumping ground doc, which I sent Leo's way of just half thought out stupid ideas. And I had a whole section for here's a bunch of names of shows where I don't know what the content is. <laughs> like, for example, this is a stupid one, but, you know, for all these tweets, I always tweet out Central Time for like, oh, we're starting the stream at this time. And I thought like, oh, maybe that's just the name of a show, Central Time. So it's a lot of stuff at that caliber of name of like Central Time. Just um, words. Yeah, and so Leo picked one out of that batch that he actually liked, and it's like, oh yeah, that does feel like a video essay name. That seems like it totally fits. Yeah. Real quick, is it too uh, late to change our uh, tagline to more chill than I imagined? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We can put it in the beginning of the show. It's a new framing for everything. Uh, Jacob Geller, do you have any advice for Leo Vader doing video essays here at MinMax since you're the expert? Uh, well, I've watched uh, both. I've watched the two Leo Vader YouTube channel video essays, yes. which were both very good. Um, I've always said that that music kind of makes it, you know, that that having having good music will just like make your essay feel more important. It's also in a, a copyright iffy era area. So like, who knows if you should actually follow that advice or not? Um, yeah. Just write a bunch of my own music to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, yeah. just like make your own version of the health soundtrack of Max Payne 3 and then put that under every essay you do and then everyone will love it. I guess yeah, on top of being a writer, could you just be a musician as well? Sure. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, why not? If you just write one sick beat, you could put it <laughs> under every video. If you nail the beat well enough, right? I mean, I think that was a Ratatat strategy when they started producing music. <laughs> <laughs> All those years ago. <laughs> All right. We have a bunch of community questions we should get to here. Uh, Thomas writes in, submits a great question on Patreon saying, best new IP of the generation. What about which IP is your favorite that seemed to have disappeared from this generation? Mine, for example, would be Skate, but I guess it's coming back on next gen, so it's a little bit different. But best IPs that are MIA this generation, what stands so out for y'all? It'd be like a, an IP from last that was at least around last gen, but did not continue this gen. Correct. I got some for this. Please. Um, one, even though it, it seems like it should have been this generation, Bayonetta. Um, I guess Wii U kind yeah, of counts. Yeah, that's that confusing one. But I, I would have thought that Bayonetta 3 would be out uh, long ago. Um, Dead Space has has been totally absent. Um, but hey, ne- but, there's, mm-hmm. but there's stuff that's, I don't know. Dead Space feels like, yeah, it's absent, but I don't think it's coming back anytime soon. Oh, was well, this, is this like, they are coming? I don't still? know. Look, Thomas leaves it open-ended, but I, I don't know. I'm more interested in those that like, like, you know, a GTA. Well, I guess that's not new IP. Or I guess that's not, he just says IP, not new IP. But well, I guess my, my third is, is not likely to come back, but Resistance Fall of Man. <laughs> Would you there like to see it come back? Yeah, I liked Resistance 3 a lot. I feel like they could do something with that. There's technically four with the Vita, the Retribution. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, don't forget. Yeah, I actually just looked it up, and we are farther from, Bay- like, there's a bigger gap now between Bayonetta 2 and 3 than there was between Bayonetta 1 and 2, which also felt like the, when is this getting, getting a sequel? Because right. Bayonetta 1 was 2010, and Bayonetta 2 was 2014. Wow. And even if even if Beta 3 comes out this year, which I don't think it will, yeah. that is a larger gap to think of. Like, oh, that's that's sad. That's sad. They should make another one of them. Damn. I miss Killzone, you know. 
Do you really? Killzone? But no. that was in this yeah. generation. That was also. right at the start. Yeah, oh, that's got true. Well, that's been how long ago that was. That was like, what, seven years? Also, I think this year, this generation went on pretty long, right? I think these last two have gone on longer than any other generations before them, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, Leo, uh, at some point we should do a stream where we all just really get into Killzone Shadow Falls multiplayer. Okay. okay. What is the, there's a good emote in there, right? There is. I don't know anything about There's, it. I think you can do Gangnam Style or something mm. good like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, we should I'm check listening. That, <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, oh, I'm sorry for this, everybody. Uh, Mick Gooch writes in and says, Hey, Leo Vader and the rest. Uh, I finally finished listening to your excellent The Last of Us Part 2 Deepest Dive, and I think it's the best most thorough discussion about The Last of Us Part 2 on the internet. I don't know where you got that idea. That's great. Um, I wanted to say, in your conversation on the game, you guys and others online that I've seen had arguably minor hangups about the story in the end. No spoilers. We promise there's no spoilers in this discussion anywhere. Um, but I wanted to ask you all something. Does any other game compare in terms of pure literary ambition to The Last of Us Part Two? Could any other game warrant a 10-plus hour conversation such as yours that seemed to focus mainly on story elements? The only one that compares that comes to my mind would be Red Dead Redemption 2. I feel like the debates and disagreements on the meaning and message of the game are similar to ones you would hear about an Oscar-caliber movie or a Pulitzer Prize-winning book. Can you think of any other games that meet this standard? Yeah. <laughs> Prototype. <laughs> well, you're a, you're a... Wait, Leah, what'd you say? Prototype. For <laughs> I could do it. You're a, you're a deepest dive kind of guy, Jacob. I mean, you've gone all in on... Max Payne 3, would that be your example? I I feel like there is respectfully a, a little confusion between production quality and and literary depth in that that The Last of Us Part 2 and Red Dead Redemption 2 are both excellently written games with complex stories that are also really well acted and performed and whatever, but when I think about something like Disco Elysium was brought up earlier, or basically any CRPG, I mean, Planescape Torment, Divinity Original Sin, like, yeah. these games have, have far more story and, and is, I think, arguably as well-written and as interesting. They're just presented in a format that's more reading stuff on a page and less yeah. like watching actors. I think it's interesting that he like he uses the term literary when I feel like a lot of the language that both The Last of Us and Red Dead use is more cinematic than right. than literary because I think uh, in terms of like pure written fiction I think you I could talk forever about Destiny lore like and the, the just pure like amount of content in those games uh, and both like what what a lot of the themes of Destiny are I think could I could go on for a while but there are you know when it comes to like meaningful depth i think like something like kentucky Route zero has a lot pulls on a lot of threads that you could go on for a really long time with regards to like history and themes and stuff like that i mean i will talk about uh davy reedon's the beginner's guide for 10 hours and that game is an hour and a half long so right. i do that with you yeah let's do that deepest dive <laughs> what can we can we pull something from ben's bucket of names <laughs> the beginner's well, dive there you go there we go best Col possible seo <laughs> colon central time <laughs> the beginning wait i'm looking for the beginner's guide on central time <laughs> what is this weird time zone between uh eastern and pacific <laughs> um, you tell me there's a whole country between those two things yeah. i can wrap my mind around mountain but central is right <laughs> out uh, hawaiian time 
I, I understand what Magooch, I'm sorry for saying that again, uh, is going for here, though. <laughs> like, that I've listened to a lot of spoiler discussions about The Last of Us Part Two after finishing it, and again, no spoilers, I promise. And a lot of them get so bogged down in details. And I think I do this on this show all the time. Uh, I think we do it on The Deepest Dive even. But it's so easy when there's this, like, feast of things to talk about in front of you to just be like, ah, those grapes were a little bit... Uh, a little bit old or like ah my my chicken was cold but you're not talking about the thing in front of you which is the last was part two which is just like jesus christ what a production what an accomplishment there's so much amazing writing and work done here overall but i think in a lot of these spoiler discussions people just get nitpicky about relatively small things about the story um you know somebody even wrote in on the last episode of the deepest dive sir i don't know if you remember this where the guy wrote it and he's like hey everybody just stop just focus on how amazing this writing is for video games and how rare this thing is we're kind of losing the forest for the trees type of thing you know? I, I mean I, I like in terms of a game that goes on for 30 hours and has like that amount of production value is like they definitely do a better job than most other video games than like of like stringing that whole story together in a way that that you know like at one point you're like riding a boat through the streets of seattle right like and that's kind of like inherently an absurd concept but they managed to make it feel like a livable space right i do think you're uh, also a little to blame for that ben for asking for the most specific details people can possibly yeah think of. how dare these podcasts have focus on these tiny details <laughs> no, for 12 we have hours so like, many but you know i don't want to point fingers but i listen to a couple of spoiler casts where it's just kind of like complaining for an hour about like ah, this doesn't make sense in that world we're saying what there's so much else to talk about other than these little nitpicks. Yeah, but I think for, for me personally, I'm, I'm, I was, you know, the, the one who was most down on it in our deepest stuff. And I think for me, a lot of the, like the, my issues that I have with the story go uh, like past uh, kind of like detail oriented things. But I do think that like there is, a, they are working with a lot of themes in that, in that game for sure. Like there's right. a lot to pick at. Like both. More so. Yeah, exactly. Like riding your boat through the streets of Seattle. That's <laughs> weird, guys. That's my favorite literary theme. Uh, Tactical Dreamer writes and he says, Hello, friends. Isn't it weird that the last two PS4 exclusives have insanely fast load times? It seems after a whole generation, developers have finally figured out how to get those loads lightning fast on current hardware. Does it kind of deflate next gen for you seeing as fast loading is one of the big talking points for the PS5 and Series X? I'm still excited for next gen, but it's weird, right? So I think Tactical is talking about Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us Part Two, which are shocking how fast they load, even after deaths. I mean, those things are raring to go. Yeah, I, I, it does, it, it does feel like they're using like a lot of. Well, there's like two major tricks that that even I can see, right? I'm not like a, a tech expert, but like, it, well, like a, a long initial load if you ever start the game. And then um, using the suspend feature, right? So you're kind of yeah, you're you're not launching the game again. You're hopping into the middle of it, and I think like it feels like those two games specifically kind of work with those two things in mind. In that like people aren't going to know be as bothered by an initial load that takes a while if the suspend feature is there to kind of not load the game for you. Initially. But I gotta say, sir, like even today, I was playing Ghost for a little while, jumped out because. You know, I'm only human and played Amplitude for several hours and then went back to Ghost and, like, the load still wasn't that long to get back into it. It's so much better than even, like, you know, the GTA games on PS2, which are, right. is always the first thing yeah. in my mind for those long initial loads. They're definitely a lot better than something like even Bloodborne, which, like, had these every time you died, oh, you had this... Re- the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was, like, 45 seconds. And, like, I remember the patch there that, hey, we slightly improved the load times, but even better, instead of just looking at the logo, we just added tooltips. 
And that was like the thing where it's like, oh, now there's something to do to look at while I'm waiting to try a boss again. And that was a game where there were a lot of loads because you die yeah. all the time. Right. To, to the initial question, though, it just makes me more excited about about the, the future generations because I don't know what kind of wizardry like Sucker Punch and Naughty Dog are doing, but presumably it's it's very difficult. And and if, you know, now all developers can kind of make loads this snappy, that's great because I really appreciated it in The Last of Us 2 that I didn't have to wait so long. That is true. And they'll still have, you know, Insomniac Spider-Man to show off that if they want their direct comparison of, look how slow the loading is here versus the PS5 version. Bada bing, bada boom. Miles Morales, gotta go. Uh, Morin writes in and says, hello, Leo, and, and the rest. Um, <laughs> if you had to get a video game inspired tattoo, what would it be and where on your body would it be placed? Mm. arrow mm. in the freaking knee first off hell yeah <laughs> we can go from there <laughs> do you, wait, wait so you would just tell the tattoo guy that's what you would tell the tattoo guy just yeah i'll think start with an arrow then you surprise me <laughs> after you're done with the arrow up to you man i'll pay uh, here's a hundred dollars for whatever else you want to do do what do, do none of you have one no well leo you're this you're tatted up like a maniac right I have a tattoo that says otaku on my back. I don't know if that's somewhat gaming themed. <laughs> and that's real, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I have I have the the bridge from Shadow of the Colossus on my ribs uh, in real what? life. Yeah, can I, can I can I flash the camera? I didn't want to ask. Yes, please. Okay, For the so audio listeners, he's removing his literal hot boy shirt. Wow. Cool. How well so, does that bridge line up with your ribs? Uh, not not so well. Okay, but. and also follow up question: Do you think that question has ever been asked on planet Earth before? <laughs> <laughs> One time. Okay, um, that's cool, man. That's a really good idea. I yeah, I I think uh, game tattoos are pretty common. I mean, I know like tons of people who just have a Triforce. Like, I feel like a Triforce right. tattoo is almost ubiquitous at this point. I feel like I probably accidentally have a Triforce tattoo somewhere on my <laughs> body. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I think. It's not like a video game object, but um, Killer7 starts with like this really creepy shot of the full moon. So I would maybe try and, and I, I as a as a concept, I'm really into the idea of like full moons and stuff so like Majora's Mask, things like that. So I would maybe just get like make it as creepy as possible. Full moon somewhere. I don't know where. I don't your, know what a good place for a tattoo is. Your butt arm. Of course. Yeah. Oh, okay, my butt. Yeah. Check uh, out my full moon. Ben Shively writes in and says, In the gaming industry, one of the most painful things to see is a big game get canceled. There have been so many over the years, but which do you think would have been the best out of all of them? Would Star Wars 1313 have been the best Star Wars game ever made? Would Silent Hills have brought the franchise back to mainstream relevancy? Which canceled game would be the best? Canceled I was excited game. for Prey 2. Yeah... Ooh, that'd be a fun... If they still have an official version of that, that'd be a fun... We Every once in a while do that... A loose series called Let's Take Another Look at That. We've only done like two episodes so far, but it'd be fun to go back and look at that footage because it's so cool. Yeah, that was a cool trailer. Do you uh, think that it actually would would have been good? Do you think Human Head could have pulled it off? I don't see why not. I liked the first one fine. I thought it was better than the people said. But the pitch of being the, like, alien bounty hunter and all the gadgets they showed off and everything, that looked really special for the time. But I think since then, a lot of games have caught up with, you know, having cool gadgets mm. like that, I guess. Right. Sci-fi. Yeah, probably would have had a lot of, like, immersive sim stuff 
from the from the looks of it felt like you could just go wherever so that yeah that's probably like the most it also feels like it was canceled pretty far along in development from what i remember versus like something where it's like well silent hill was was probably not ever really a game yeah like that you could play right so mm-hmm. it's hard to know theoretically how that would have turned out i mean you say that but i it's a cliche but silent hills is truly my my like white whale like i <laughs> i very very much wanted to play that game and and i'm pretty sad that even though i'm sure aspects of it will exist in kojima's future work or whatever I wanted to play that game. Yeah. What, what I mean, does that mean? We'll always have PT. Yeah, you just want more PT, or you just were so intrigued by that I, I shot that at the, the end? I thought that the, the like, original trailer for Silent Hills, which, again, was just kind of throwing horror imagery at the wall, but, like, I thought that was really compelling, <laughs> you know? And just, like... The fact is, Kojima hasn't made a horror game. And and I just, like, I think he does interesting enough stuff in the genres that he does. And even the horror stuff in Death Stranding is, like, good enough that I was like, I want to see a full game of this. Yeah. Daniel White right, saying, says, hello, CLCs. First off, Jacob Geller's YouTube channel is the best new IP of the generation. Prove oh. me wrong. Look at that. I won't. Uh, secondly... <laughs> Since he no longer works at Game Informer, can Leo tell the story of the Contra Shattered Soldier replay? Who wrote this in? Daniel White. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Sure. I don't know what this is. It, it'll probably come back to you. I confided in you about it once. Okay. It was like f- five months after I started. I guess you can just look up the Contra Shattered Soldier replay and find out how soon it was after I started. But uh, basically, I lost the whole recording of a replay episode we did for Contra Shattered Soldier. It came out really choppy, like the audio was perfect, but the gameplay was totally gone. Oh God. And so I spent a little bit panicking about it. Right, we came out of the recording and Reiner was like, this is the best episode replay we've ever done. <laughs> Do you think it was too? At the time, I thought it was a really great episode. Oh, wow. And I eventually landed on the plan to invite my friend Manton to the office after hours. <laughs> Spent the whole rest of my workday taking time code notes of what we commented on in the game. Oh, no. Every, like, commenting on an enemy's death animation or whatever in Contra Shattered Soldier. Yeah. And me and... Because the complicated part was we played it in co-op, so I had to get my friend Manton there. And we had to play co-op <laughs> and do all of these things to this time. And That's like beat these levels and have the same like amount of lives at certain point when we reference running out of lives. And uh, we got it pretty close. It took a little bit of like slowing down and speeding up clips to get it to line up exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, if you watch that episode of replay, try and notice that <laughs> it's, we're talking about different gameplay. See if you can. I'm looking through the comments. So this was August 11th, 2017. Looking through the comments, uh, Everyone's just like, funny replay, ha ha, good job. Uh, somebody named Hell's Fury comments and says, watching this, knowing the story behind it is a whole different experience. This is art. Hashtag, knock if you buck. Interesting. <laughs> did, wait, did, did the other people in the office like know you were doing this? No. I told Hanson and Cork a few weeks later, but <laughs> I kept it a secret. I don't know if Reiner knows. Oh my but god! When I told when I, when I told Hanson about uh like why I did it, I told him that story. What Hanson said was Reiner says that about every episode of Replay. <laughs> <laughs> That's my takeaway. <laughs> 
so was that harder or easier than clapping? I don't know. It seems, oh it seems pretty basic. I'm trying to think, like, I, I really, I feel like I phoned it in now at Game Informer for never going through those lengths to recreate anything. Like, there were two. The first episode of the Yoshi's Island Super Replay, I recorded without audio, and the, oh, this is the worst sin, the GTA Vice City Replay. It was a great episode, and there was a tech mishap. We lost the audio. So for both, I just took, like, the soundtrack clips and just, like, put them where they should have been with Yoshi's Island. But then there were comments where they were like, why are there no sound effects? But I got the sound music, like, lined up enough. But then the weird thing was, yeah, Vice City was just like, I don't know, here's, like, a Michael Jackson song for the stretch here. <laughs> just, like, slapping it together. Just immediately got nuked on YouTube. But, hey, good times. Uh, that's insane, Leo. Good job, man. Thank you. I don't think I would have done it if it wasn't so soon after I started and if I hadn't, like, already lost a couple recordings before that. <laughs> right, right. Because it wouldn't have been a big deal. Runner would have been like, all right, let's go record another one Friday morning. And it would yeah, been... of course. Oh, that's the worst <laughs> feeling. Uh, Bill Kerr says, hey, Mimex crew, what is a question you always wanted to be asked here but no one has ever asked? How are you? Oh, yeah. Why don't people care? This is something <laughs> yeah. I feel like I mentioned a couple times. Somebody please write in with the colon quiz. I've wanted this so bad where it's a quiz for video game titles throughout the last 15 years or so. And we have to determine if that name has a colon in it or not. I want to play this colon quiz desperately because colons have been going away slowly. If you've noticed over like the last six years in video game titles, but then every once in a while Mm -hmm. they pop back up. Just, I want, it's so specific, and it's probably the nerdiest thing we'll ever do on this show, but I would love to take the colon quiz. Okay, I've got two quick ones for you, then. Yeah, yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn. Horizon Zero Dawn does not have a colon. Uh, Correct. And I know that because there's an old PC game called Horizon, so if they put a colon in there, then it would be copyright infringement or something. So they have to say the name of the game is Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay, here's here's the other one. Undernight in Birth EXE latest. <laughs> Hang on, this colon quiz sucks. Um, I was just wondering if Ben could say colon a couple more times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Great. Just at any point, just raise your hand and I'll <laughs> scream the word colon. Um, I'm going to go with, yes, there is a colon in that surreal. Yes, there is a colon yeah. in it. Yeah. Bonus but points where? if you can tell me where. Yeah. <laughs> okay, can you say the name of the thing again? Undernight in Birth EXE latest. After birth. After EXE. (laughs) Bonus, bonus points. Can you tell me where the brackets are? (laughs) No, I can't. We got got colon and after birth in the same question. (laughs) Uh, Sean Jeezy, do it easy. Says, hello, double M's. I hope all is well with you and yours. Oh, there we go, Leo. That's pretty close. Not good enough. Okay. Uh, Quick question. (laughs) Besides Ghost of Tsushima, what game have you taken the most screenshots in? I did about 120 in The Last of Us Part 2. However, my top game goes to a little game called No Man's Sky with a little over 300. I still go back to it every now and then just to explore in creative mode. That's amazing. Shadow of the Colossus. The PS4 one has a really good photo mode. Yeah. Were you trying to come up with like YouTube thumbnails or this is just... Uh, it, it, one of them happened to be that, but mm. it came out before I was doing YouTube. Um and it was just like it's just a pretty game yeah i mean for me it's just the ease of the switch and so it's it's between breath of the wild and then also because i was thinking about doing some coverage on it and i'm just fascinated by the 
piss poor writing throughout most of Pokemon games. And so every time there was just something that stood out to me while playing Sword and Shield, I'll take a screenshot of it. So I probably have hundred or so like Sword and Shield screenshots. And a lot of it is just like comparing the art decoration or like interior design of these houses. Cause throughout that game, there's like a whole section of the city where every house is the exact same layout and they just like change one poster in the background. Like that level of thing I'm just fascinated by from Game Freak overall. In terms of pure screenshots, because I've probably taken more clips of Destiny than anything else, but I think it might actually be uh, Paper Mario. Oh, wow. Origami King. Just because like, so there are so many ways, like because the encounters involve so much like thinking ahead and like, okay, I need to rotate this and then move this thing. So it's like you're thinking two or three moves ahead. So I I had like a bunch of like, screenshots of like okay well this is the this is how the board would look if i did this and then i would go back into the game do it and then basically try different ways of circumventing that game's timer um so yeah i just have tons and tons of screenshots of paper mario not but not for like preservation or like this is a cool moment reasons it was like utilitarian it's almost a feature in that game at this point i'm going to start that game very soon serial will i like it I think I I don't know if you'll like the combat, but I yeah. think one of the best parts about it is that you can like at some point you can basically just skip it. Like there are ways you can make it a lot easier, and there are ways that you you can just basically say like here's the solution to this combat puzzle. So, but but if you like it, you can just totally do it at whenever you want. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Jeremy Bull writes in and says hello Ben and computer loving cohorts. Hello. Is Michael Jordan? The most well-known baseball player of all time. Mm. You're you're going from like yeah, I guess you're going from like Babe a person Ruth. who plays baseball. So of yeah. course Babe Ruth, but it's the tricky thing of technically the most well-known person who has played baseball, but not even professionally. So that's confusing. But yeah, yeah is, the most is famous it just, person. They probably play baseball. Yeah, it's like has has Donald Trump thrown a baseball? Like, is he the I most famous? Yeah, that's I, tough. But it's not. It doesn't count. Doesn't cause... have a candy bar. What's that? He doesn't have a candy bar. There's no Baby candy bar. A candy bar. So. Michael Jordan playing baseball. Because uh, it's like, yeah, undoubtedly one of the most famous famous people in the world. But I bet even a majority of the world does not know that factoid that he played baseball for a bit. Right? They're not, you know, they don't have a version of the Air Jordan shoes or something where he's like, well, went out of the. But park. I think the question you're asking, I guess like this question is weird, but like yeah. the question you're asking is, do you know who Michael Jordan is? You're not asking, like, do you know who this baseball player is? And you show them a picture of Michael Jordan and they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> mm. No one will ever mm. know what Jeremy Bull is getting to the bottom of here. It's a mystery lost of time. <laughs> I uh, like the question. It's a great question. Maceface writes in and says, hello, everyone. Out of the best new IP of the generation, what game do you think will age the best? The game that people will keep playing even 40 years from now. Keep up the great work and positive vibes. Okay. So Overwatch is a series, you know, Jacob mentioned will be around 20 years from now. But what game do you think specifically from this generation will age the best? It it might be Disco Elysium. I mean, based oh, on like... wow. Because people still play Planescape Torment. And that game mm-hmm. is pretty old um and so it's like there aren't really graphics and the gameplay (laughs) isn't going to age you know particularly because it's just reading text for the most part so uh unless unless that game becomes super problematic in the future uh which is possible um 
you know, it seems like that'll hold up. Do you think Cuphead is a contender? Timeless gameplay, that visual style, I don't think is going to look less uh, spot well, on to what it's I going feel like for. There's going to be, there'll just be more Cupheads. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see Cuphead going the way of like, oh, there, there are lots of games that have done this in better maybe you think but. someone's gonna replicate that art style better <laughs> than cuphead no, no 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 i'm saying like the gameplay because i think it, like when it comes to yeah. aging i think you i think gameplay does factor because there are lots of games that look pretty but may not hold up where you're like I, I would watch that game but i don't know that i would play it and so there's you can totally see like a cuphead to making the first kind of feel irrelevant like oh this plays way better by every conceivable measure and so there's not a whole lot of reason to go back to cuphead the game specific like the, that first game yeah, specifically but still, 40 years from now you're picking up a game i feel like cuphead will still be tight enough for you to enjoy yeah all right but i think like a- aging is also like a relative thing so if there's like a cuphead too i think like that that might age better than cuphead okay Certainly. uh marriott player says hello everybody no question here i just want to thank leo for mentioning red steel on the last episode you're welcome. Great. Red Steel 2. I'll do you one better. Let's mention that. <laughs> that game is sweet. Elliot wrote in and says, Hey, with Ghost out there, there is but one question on everyone's mind. What is the best PlayStation exclusive game of the generation? I will keep this short and only including the core exclusive games. Astrobot Rescue Mission, Bloodborne, Infamous Second Son, Ratchet & Clank, Resogun, Shadow of the Colossus, Days Gone, Last Guardian, Last of Us Part 2, Tetris Effect, Uncharted 4, Uncharted Lost Legacy, Until Dawn, Spider-Man, Ghost of Tsushima, God of War, Order 1886, Persona 5, Persona 5 Royale, Royal, sorry, Final Fantasy 7 Remake, but that's going to be ported eventually, and Horizon Zero Dawn. What is the best PlayStation exclusive? The Last of Us Remastered. Interesting answer. Interesting answer. I would say God of War. Also, I don't think Tetris Effect is a PS4 exclusive. That is true. It's on Epic. It was on the Epic Game Store, taking it off the list. Get the hell the out of The Last here. Guardian. Wow! Over Shadow of the Colossus? Shadow of the Colossus isn't a... a, a well, the remake. It's not a this generation. Definitely not the remake. Yeah. Oh, you're not a fan of the remake? I, I mean, I think the PS2 version is the canonical version of the game. So, like... Wait, what's wrong with the PS3 version? That seems like everything that you want. PS3 version actually isn't. Uh, it's It's got some weird code in it. It plays worse. Um, what? But anyway, I don't think a remake counts. I mean, other than Leo's, which is fine. Okay, <laughs> hang on. I was going to say, if that doesn't count, I'll say Yakuza 6. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you like playing Last Guardian? It's a game I played and finished, and I'm happy I did. But if you said right now you have to play through The Last Guardian again, I would... I'd whimper a little I bit. I've played <laughs> through The Last Guardian uh, three or four times. Wow. I think here's here's a hot take. I think all of Ueda's games are like equally good. Like I think that like Eco, Shadow of the Colossus, Last Guardian, same level, and they're all pretty much tens for me. Wow. I've never heard somebody defend Last Guardian to this extent. This is shocking. I, I really like it. I have I have a video about it. Um but I have not yeah. watched that one. I'm sorry. I'm, it's a, I'm a big fan. The animation undoubtedly is awesome. I think the world is awesome. The art's awesome. I but, think it has uh the strongest ending of any of his games. Hmm. And I also as as I talked about in the video, like this, this is kind of lame, but as a pet owner, like last guardian does just kind of get me in that way that i suppose the way that like people have kids feel about god of war or whatever (laughs) interesting okay sentimental attachment but you gotta admit i mean some of that platforming is 
frustrating. Oh, it's, it's jank, but so is Shadow of the Colossus. Like, it's... <laughs> Last Guardian is probably worse. But yeah. <laughs> but I still... That's still my favorite. Wow. All right. Bold move. Uh, Cyril, did you say yours? Uh... With the caveat that I think PC is probably the best PS game you can only play on PS4, and I'm offended that it's not on the list. <laughs> uh, I guess Pro... Man, it's it's tough. I think it'd be either between Persona 5 and God of War. What if you had to choose? If I had to choose... If you had to choose... Uh, Yakuza 6. You know what? Between those two, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... Uh, I, I guess God of War... But that's because I secretly hope that Persona 5 eventually gets ported to somewhere other than PS4. I bet it will at some point, like right? Like PS5. No. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, Brandon Sylvia from Easygoing Gaming writes and says, Are there any games you've never played for one reason or another, but you would like to check out in some form or in the form of a remake or reboot? I've noticed with the remake trend that even though it can feel a little bit oversaturated at times, it does allow me to check out new experiences of classic games for the first time. For example, I probably would have never got around to playing Final Fantasy VII if it wasn't for the remake, and now it's probably my game of the year. Look at that. See, Leo, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Undoubtedly game of the year. Keep that in mind for <laughs> Min Max's Game of the Year awards. Very <laughs> uh, exciting. Okay, yeah, so a, a game you wouldn't check out unless it was remade or rebooted. My gut says the early Final Fantasies, because I... I'm interested in, you know, when I hear people praising their stories or whatever, I'm interested in revisiting them in a way that's not in their original form. But then again, I'm not even playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, so what do I care? Yeah, you're, you're lost. You're lost out in the woods, man. Yeah. What? Did you try the Seven Remake? No. You might, I think you'd like the combat. <laughs> yeah, sure. I probably would. I don't know. I just, I, nothing I've seen about it seems like it would be for me. I don't know. Okay. All right. Um, there are other other PS1 games actually similar to Final Fantasy VII. Like um, Parasite Eve is a game that I've always thought like looked interesting, and I liked like the vibe of it. But I'm just not gonna play a PS1 game. Um, Vagrant Story is another one. Yeah, uh, that's like like those old RPGs that have things that seem really interesting to me. But I just like. I, I didn't have a PS1 even as a kid. And so it's like, it, it's not going back to something nostalgic. It's just like, it's 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 not going to play great. It's so tough. Yeah, like I really want to check out Valkyrie Profile at some point. But like, I know without nostalgia, that's going to be a cold splash of water in my face at times. But I still want to do it at some point in the future. Maybe for a deepest dive, we'll see. Yeah, I, I think... I don't know. Every once in a while, I get the desire to play the original Metal Gear. Yeah. But I don't think I would unless they did like a whole like remake of that and kind of because it feels like that's where Metal Gear Solid 5 was kind of heading is like the next game after this is just going to basically almost pretty almost directly leads into Metal Gear. Right. So it'd be interesting to revisit that story and see. Would you want the remake to be like 3D? I think so. Or I would take like a, you know, even if they went like, you know, Metal Gear Solid 3 style, like it's kind of like a lower budget thing, but it's like overhead, but it has like 3D graphics. I would even take that. You know, would be the the dumbest way to remake that, but I would be completely on board for, and I bet they would still sell 60% as many copies. What if they just took like the Fox engine, right? So it's like that level of fidelity for Snake and then just took the environments from Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 
and just like put you in them, but they're all just like the base textures, you know, just like it looks like a gray box environment, but it's just like, like literally. Earth. What's that? Google Earth close up on like a city? A little bit, yeah. But just like huge boxes of like, here's this room over here. It kind of just looks like that weird emulator that turns all the NES games into 3D stuff. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be <laughs> just like some funky, weird ass version of it? I think it'd be really cool. And probably they could do it in like a week. But but why? <laughs> why? Because honestly, wouldn't you buy that? Just some freaky. Well, ass I mean, I would buy because of... it would be Metal Gear. But like, see, what is the creative impetus? For, like, that just seems like yeah, we could do whatever we want in this game. And people it's would like buy the this best game. way to split the difference between being faithful to the original Metal Gears, <laughs> but then bringing some modernization to it. But then you have this hyper realistic snake. Is that what? <laughs> Who's yeah. voicing Snake? Oh, I mean, you'd have to get David Hayter. Well, actually, no, you'd have to split it in the middle again. So it'd be like a digitized version of David Hayter's voice. Maybe he justified, he like has it, he's possessed by his spirit of his past or, or, or yes. like Big Boss or something. And he's played by both David Hayter and Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, that's perfect. Wow. And then at the end, he wakes up like in the helicopter in Metal Gear Solid 4. That's right. Yeah. You can, yeah. Based on that sequence in Metal Gear Solid 4, you can justify anything. Like, just get freaky, release some weirdo version remake of those games, and call it a day. Otherwise, Konami's yeah. not going to do it. <laughs> okay. Thanks, sir. I'll, I'll take it however I'll, I can get it, I guess. All right, perfect. Uh, Jamie Victor Negron Serrano says Hello, Min Max. When I was growing up in rural Puerto Rico in the early to mid 2000s, barely anyone I knew had regular access to the internet or even cable TV. The hype for upcoming games and consoles was almost inexistent, and we found out about newer popular releases mostly through word of mouth. In the past few years, I've realized that many video games were very popular in my youth, weren't very big in the United States. Of course, we knew GTA, but I remember stuff like Need for Speed Underground 2 and 50 Cent Bulletproof being huge in my school at some point. Also, among my cousin's households, there was no, there was way more GameCubes than PS2s, and it surprised me to find out that the GameCube is considered a flop and had fewer units sold than the original Xbox. No one I knew even had an Xbox. Question... Were there any popular games in your schools or neighborhoods that you later found out weren't as big as you had thought growing up? It's mm. a good question. Definitely not to that extent, because really, like, when I think about popular games, it was just like, I would go over to a friend's house to play this game, and so would other friends. You know, it was like there was one friend who had this game on, on CD-ROM, and we'd all play it. Uh, Lego Racers was the big oh, one for wow. me. Hell like, yeah. instead of Mario Kart, because, like, all my friends were just, like, playing things on, on our parents' computers, basically. Yeah. The Lego Racers CD was a, a big hit. That I remember that game. Not to be confused with Lego Island, which is also... <laughs> I also like that game a lot. But, yeah, Lego Racers, it had, it had kind of an interesting, like, power-up mechanic where you could, you could pick up, like, a, a mushroom equivalent... But then if you held on to it and got more power-ups, the mushroom would get stronger and eventually turn into, like, a rocket or a teleporter. This is cool. perfect. Jacob, I forgot that I played a lot of this game over at my friend's house, too, looking at this <laughs> gameplay again. It's like, oh, my God, Wait, Lego Racers. Were you two friends as kids? Jacob, that's you? <laughs> it, was, it was weird that I was friends with someone, you know, <laughs> probably 10 years older than me. <laughs> hey, Lego brings the world together, you know? That's the weird thing. Is like, you know... I think there's examples like Lego Racers that I'm sure they sold gangbusters. It's just nobody talks about them. You know, I'm yeah. sure a lot of these games that I thought were popular around the world, it just turns out that 
I don't know, once you get into the game industry or grow up, no one talks about them, but they still actually seep through. Like there's stuff, you know, my friend Grant, Jeff from Insnacks, um, I remember him and Ronnie were obsessed with this Pirates of the Caribbean game from 2003. And I've never heard a single human being mention this game since then. So it was developed as like this open world RPG. It was published by both Bethesda and Ubisoft. It is just this bizarre thing where it was, a, I guess, a separate pirate game. And then after Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, broke the box office, it was so successful. Then they just slapped like Curse of the Black Pearl onto the name of this game overall. Um, and so it's just this weird hybrid open-ended RPG that they claimed was the second coming of Christ. And I've never gone back to look at, but it'd be kind of fun to check out at some point here. Hmm. This uh, isn't an answer to the question, but I've been shocked to grow up and learn that people don't like Donkey Kong 64. Shocked? Yeah. That was kind of the second coming for, <laughs> for me and my friends as a kid. We couldn't imagine a better game. Second coming of Kong. <laughs> That's right. I mean, the rap is great, uh, but I didn't play it as a kid, but trying to play it as an adult, I can see why that game doesn't quite <laughs> didn't quite hit the masses the same way. Some people weren't ready for it. That's true. That's true. Do you think that uh, game holds up well? Do you think you could go back to it? For a couple hours, you know, same as any old game. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, we had a MotoGP game for the Super Nintendo that I don't think I, I must have dreamed it because I guess like no one talks about that game as like for me, it was like, this is like, it's, it's this, it's Street Fighter 2, it's Mega Man 7, it's Super Mario World and the MotoGP game. Those are the yeah. Super Nintendo games. Is it called, but, you know, is it called GP1? Something like that. I don't, I don't like I, I've looked, I've looked this up a couple of times and there are multiple games that really look like it, but I wasn't <laughs> sure exactly which one it is, but there's a, there is like a motorcycle racing game on the Super Nintendo that I, that I remember playing for a really long time. But, and since my childhood, I, I have not heard it mentioned. Oh, weird. Uh, Mark Miller writes in and says, do you have any lifelong goals you still want to achieve? For example, mine is to create a music album, not to be sold or anything, but just to say I did it and created something lasting. That's a good one, Mark. My goal is to listen to his album. Yeah, <laughs> endlessly. And to make sure that he's a millionaire based We've on that album. got a lot riding on this. Yeah, we want to be <laughs> your agents, album. Mark. Uh, I've, uh, you know, I kind of want to live somewhere cool. I think it'd be a shame if I got old and died having just lived like in the middle of a city for my whole life. In the middle of a Midwestern oh. American city. Okay, so meaning like still in Minnesota, you just would want to get out? You know, like, yeah, somewhere cooler in Minnesota, uh, you know, somewhere more in nature or somewhere abroad. Just somewhere. Just tr try it. You want to live somewhere outside cool. of Minnesota for a while, at least. Yeah. Huh. I'd be, I would regret not giving that a go for sure. Um, where would you pick? Hmm. You know, I really liked uh, Finland when I got to visit there. Interesting. It is very nice. Yeah, people are nice. It kind of feels like an underdog yeah all right well there we go going to finland um catch me there <laughs> say hi well you can start finmax over there with two ends it'll be perfect <laughs> uh, why does it have two ends again i don't remember um so yeah this is tricky i remember in high school having this epiphany about like you guys at some point i know it's cliche but it was just like this weird realization of like we're capable of like going to england and effing with those Buckingham Palace guards. 
this could be something that we do in our lives. And my friends are like, what are you talking? This is the dumbest thing ever. I'm like, it's just cool. Like, it's cool that at some point we could do that. Like, that could be a goal. Uh, and then at some point when I went to England, I was with Jeff Cork and Ben Reeves. And we not F with them, but we got to, like, go up and actually talk to the Buckingham Palace guards and took, like, a video with them and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is, like, a little bit of a little accomplishment here. I always wanted to interact with these weirdos that you constantly see growing up as a kid. It's like, oh, the best thing you can do is F with these guards. And we kind of got to do it a little bit. It was lovely. Did you feel that that was the message you got from media? <laughs> the best <laughs> thing you can do is mess with these guards? Number one. Absolutely. It's number like the two best things you can do in life are mess with the Buckingham Palace guards and die in quicksand. Like the, that is just number one and number two for like the thrills of life. That is that is my life goal. The second one <laughs> <laughs> to end it in quicksand. Yeah. So really, I get to live my whole life like just like hoping, crossing right. my fingers that like when it comes to an end, it's because of quicksand. It's very smart. Jake Zielsdorf writes in and says, "Hey guys, do you believe in the highbrow lowbrow distinction in art?" And do you think it applies to games? Do you consider games like Last of Us Part Two and Red Dead Redemption 2 highbrow and games like Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild lowbrow? Why or why not? It's a weird distinction. Yeah. Like, like, I would say, first off, no, I don't, I don't really believe in that, at least on anything more than like a personal basis. But also, it seems like that distinction is just like, are they violent or not? Yeah. Well, <laughs> do you think the highbrow lowbrow thing in general exists? Forget his examples specifically. I think that as an individual, you can totally have things where you're like, I want to play this because it, it will make me think critically and make me smarter and whatever. And I want to play this because I want to turn my brain off and and put those kind of things in two different camps. But I don't think there's uh, any objectivity in assessing art. And so what could be my lowbrow, someone else could get a huge amount out of. Um, and so, and I think kind of the, the idea of, of putting some things in like a lowbrow camp just for everyone is kind of a bummer because it means that like EDF doesn't get thought about critically or something. But don't you think that the, uh, gaming Illuminati do kind of consider Call of Duty to be a lowbrow? I mean, is lowbrow just like mass market? I think so. Isn't that the way lowbrow works? Yeah, I, I think that like with games, it's such a weird thing because like I think games games are like the one medium where like if games were movies, I think like everyone would feel like the Marvel movies are like the peak of art in, in a lot of ways because I think a lot of the most popular games are also the most critically praised. Um, so like there's this weird kind of uh, dissonance between that kind of stuff. But I think that a lot of the lowbrow, highbrow lowbrow stuff is uh, weird with games because a lot of it is also almost always thematic. So like you look at something like Red Dead and The Last of Us, it's like there's a lot of thematic themes and they're very solemn. But I think that games are always speaking like two separate languages, right? So you think about something like Dota and it's like the, the subject matter, it could not be more trivial. But in terms of the language that it's speaking, it is so incredibly dense and it, like it is so much more sophisticated that I am turning my brain on when I play Dota but it's just it is to a very different end than something like in the last of us. So I think like that that distinction feels particularly weird with video games because we engage with them for so many different reasons. Yeah. Uh Leo's squinting a lot, so I assume he's thinking hard. <laughs> He'll I keep am. thinking. And I'll have a really good contribution any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ashton Davis says, hey, everyone, first things first, welcome, Leo. Thank you. All right, so a few years ago, I was listening to some old Mega64 podcasts from the distant year of 2014, and they were hosting a community contest for a pre-roll YouTube ad. They were announcing the first place winner when all of a sudden I hear, Leo Vader, you are the winner. (laughs) I had to do a double take and go back to make sure I heard that correctly and my ears weren't playing tricks on me. It really was the same Leo that had just joined Game Informer and was already one of my favorites. I thought it was so peculiar that I happened to stumble upon that since Leo was so relatively new at Game Informer. I already knew Leo was a fan of them because of his charm shirt that he loves. I have one too, baby boy. They weren't wrong either. It was really one of the best submissions. So my question is, have you all ever won a contest? <laughs> wow, I won one for the, uh, there was a Mega64 pre-roll contest. What? Actually. Wait, can you, can you talk Get more about this? Like, I, I want to know the details. <laughs> yeah, they just had a competition for making a pre-roll ad, and it was like right when I started my first real gaming YouTube channel, and I just submitted something because I loved and love Mega64, and... Uh, yeah, I remember the stream where they were playing them all back to back, and I remember the moment where they were like, so next up is going to be the winner, and then they accidentally like showed the first frame of it <laughs> too early, and just realizing it was me was like one of the greatest moments of my life. It was amazing. And <laughs> then amazing. Uh, I ended up calling into the podcast, because they are like, Leo, if you're watching, call into the podcast, we'll do a call in or whatever. And yeah, called, we talked. I got the chance to plug my new YouTube channel at the time, and that got like a big portion of our all the subscribers we ever had were from that plug. <laughs> oh, and some wow. of my current closest friends I met from them finding that channel through that plug. And like Yeah, I don't know. It was the start of a lot of good things for me, it was that pre-roll ad. That's amazing. Uh yeah, do you have cool. a timestamp? Can we put a link uh in the description? Oh, I don't know. You can search Mega64 Leo Vader and you'll get like the call-ins and stuff. Not it's interested. buried uh, on my personal <laughs> channel. Is that, okay. is that uh, ad? Okay, I'll check it out. Uh, Brian with a Y says, hello, cohorts. Oh, no, I was, I was going to say real quick oh, that I, one, time, one time I won a copy of Banjo-Kazooie from Toonami. Oh. Wow. Wait, they Tom a, sent it out to you? That's right. Tom handed it to me personally. Oh, my God. Uh, but it was just like a, a writing thing. I think you had to mail them a thing or whatever. And then it was months after because and I was always looking that they would always announce like the winners on the TV screen. And I, I would never see like here are these week's winners of a copy of like an N64 and Banjo-Kazooie. And that's the thing that I wanted. But they were. They also had like the the the, the follow up prize or whatever. The, the, the runner up prize yeah. was like just a copy of Banjo-Kazooie. And I was thinking, okay, I, I don't have enough money to get an N64. This is going to be how I get an N64. So, like, months later, I just ended up getting a copy of Banjo-Kazooie shipped to me from Cartoon Network. But I didn't have an N64 because I was counting on that to get <laughs> oh, it. No. So, for a while, I had a copy of Banjo-Kazooie, but no N64 to play it on. Oh, my God. That's Damn. existential torture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian with a Y says, hello, everybody. What video game enemy has induced the most anxiety for you? For me, it was always running. It was always the Crimson Heads from Resident Evil Remake. As soon as you see one running at you full speed, you know you need to either fight it or get the heck out of there. However, the mere sight of them always caused me to panic. Most anxiety-inducing enemy. Uh, I got a couple. Uh, the Wallmaster from Ocarina of Time. Um, okay. 
because it was the idea that that you would get taken out of the dungeon and especially for for young me who had like basically no spatial awareness i'm like if i get taken out of this room i'm literally never gonna find it again <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right and so i was just terrified of them um and then more recently the chrysalids in XCOM. Um, oh, yeah. which are the the kind of purple spidery things because they can move really far and attack on the same turn and they do poison damage and by like usually when you meet them in the campaign you don't have strong enough weapons to like kill them quickly yeah and so it's just like anything with permadeath and and these really dangerous enemies would just you know send me into a tizzy <laughs> There's a sub-boss in uh, Slay the Spire that gets stronger the more you block, essentially. And he's not really that hard. Like, he doesn't kill me that often. But getting into that situation where it's, like, constantly balancing, do I block or do I just eat this so he can't hurt me even more later? Pure anxiety for sure. (laughs) Yeah, there were the um this the I don't remember what their name was, but in the first Dead Space, there are these like reanimated corpses that I think are supposed to be based on soldiers or something, and they're like the regular uh, enemies in that game, but they move super quickly, like they just run at, like everything else is kind of crawling at you, but these are the ones that like run basically at full speed at you. Oh god! And like the first time I saw that, I was like, ah, like that, like it was the one of the scariest things to see something move out. It, it was like sort of like the like um what's it called samara when she comes out of the stream it's like to see something move that quickly feels like a very horror gamey kind of thing yeah uh and so during that whole section i was like just as long as i don't see one of those guys again i think i should be be able to make it through this (laughs) but nothing should be able to move that fast right right yeah i guess not playing too many horror games but i guess you know half these weren't horror games necessarily but it's probably the liquors from resident evil 2 like i'm trying to think of like recent examples where it was just like that oh my god get into this door right now just try and dodge these things it's genuinely terrifying Mm -hmm. um maxwell eugene genre says it came up in community questions last week that some of you mostly play a little bit of games to stay current i'm curious how do you decide when it's time to move on from a game Hmm. Mm. i don't typically have to decide you know it's kind of if i stop having fun with it i'll stop playing it the exception being I'm taking this season off of uh, Rainbow Six Siege. That was like, it's part of just trying to recognize like this isn't doing the same things for me that it used to. You know, it happened with Animal Crossing as well. Like I played it every day for a long time and then it was like suddenly I'm playing this out of obligation and I don't find it very satisfying and I should probably take a break at that point. Are you looking forward to getting back to Rainbow Six? Do you feel like you're like building up the, the tension for when you can jump back and really enjoy it? That's ideal, yeah. I want to wait until I'm really excited about it and then right. jump back in. Yeah. I feel like my kind of boring answer is just like, it's when something else pops up that I want to play more. Like, mm-hmm. I'll probably just keep playing Hades until, like, there's a new exciting thing and then I'll put Hades down and forget about it for another six months. Yeah, that seems like a fine answer. Yeah, until you're just dying to play something else instead. Uh, yeah, I'm still... I was playing more ghosts today and I'm still on the fence about like, am I going to stick this thing out? I don't know. Like I'm not a big open world guy. I could really go either way, but like, I want to see everything they're doing here or a majority of what they're doing here, but I don't know for the long journey. Yeah. I'm sort of uh, on that kind of same trajectory. Cause it feels like I've seen 
it doesn't help that I'm basically like not really prioritizing like story quests or anything. I'm basically just like running around the map and filling in all, all the question marks. Yeah. But it does feel like as much as I've played it, I feel like, okay, I think I have, I think I know what this game is going to be for the next several hours. It's just this. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I've seen kind of clips from like later in the game that feel like, okay, that maybe they do throw some stronger enemies at you, but it, I haven't seen anything that's like, okay, here's like this radically different thing that you're going to see if you choose to, like, it just feels like you're just, you're going to reach that second island and it's just going to be like more of, more camps, more shrines, more of these things. Just, you have to do more of them to get one upgrade point. So I feel like I've seen most of what the game has to offer pretty early. Yeah. You'll get new abilities and stuff like that. But I think it's also just that idea of, I like, I love the world, but like no aspect of that story is enticing i sound like oh i can't wait to see this next hurdle and maybe i need to sink in a little bit more to really get a grasp on these characters but without that pulling me through it's kind of tough to get motivated to to play more open worldiness um but pseudonymous joe writes in says i'm really enjoying my time with ghost of tsushima okay i'm sorry um (laughs) and i realized a huge part of that is simply because of the navigate by wind mechanic I never want to use a mini-map in an open world again. It doesn't have to be wind, but I really hope that creative, immersive, navigational cues catch on because I don't want to go back. What's an example of a game mechanic that was so immediately satisfying to you that it spoiled you and instantly set a new expectation for what you wanted from games? Uh, Changing Uh, the mini-map on the fly in Red Dead 2 without going into a menu. mm. Oh, what? Wait, changing on the fly? I don't remember. What is that? What do you You, mean? You hold down on the D-pad and then you can press a different face button to do either big mini-map small mini map compass which is just your direction and kind of pointing you towards the waypoint or nothing at all how often are you changing that um when i am no longer pursuing an objective and i'm just like out hunting i'll just turn it off sure but i mostly just have it on compass and then pop out mini map if i get in like a player encounter in online because i don't want to be that disadvantaged right right gotcha that's a good example that's specific um still on the uh the navigation front uh, and and our third mention of Dead Space, uh, the <laughs> Dead Space line to the objective, where you could just yeah. you could you could click in the stick and it would show the line to your objective. And the reason that I love it is not just like no getting lost, but also because I I find it so frustrating that you still have to do that thing in games where it's like oh I'm going down this pathway, but this seems like the way I'm supposed to go, so I'm going to go the other way, and and then the yeah. other way is the way you're supposed to go. It's like The Last of Us Two has that constantly oh yeah and so being able to just know like this is the way i'm supposed to go so i'm gonna go that way and get some more resources is great mm-hmm. it is nice there's that weird thing though where it's so handy that i will then just start spamming it even like you know in something like bioshock infinite where you could have the marker on the screen i i'm very bad and stupid at games and so i just get too addicted to that it's too easy uh but i'd rather have it and fight the temptation i guess than just get lost in a hallway over and over again. Yeah, and I guess there's something about the Dead Space implementation because it seemed so real world and it also took like a second for your character to do the animation that like it it didn't feel as artificial as like a BioShock arrow. Right. You know, it felt like you were you were making a choice. What's a lore-friendly way for them to do it in The Last of Us? Send out like a pigeon That'll pursue the objective. Every time Ellie just says, like, 
looks like there are some going to be some dudes this way, and then you know to like go the other way. <laughs> this right. is where I'm supposed to go. I should explore. Right. <laughs> uh, I think I, I remember seeing um, that Dishonored 2 had like the quick save, quick load thing in the pause menu, and you could just pause the game. I think it was like hold R2 and you would just quick save. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, they've done it. They figured it out. This is going to be in every game from now on till the end of time. And no. It was not. Because <laughs> no one played Dishonored 2, and that's a travesty. Travesty. Donnie says, hey, friends, do you have any book series you'd like to see translated into a game? I've been rereading through the song or the A Song of Ice and Fire series, and it's such a colorful and rich world that would work really well in a Witcher-style RPG with original stories. I know Game of Thrones TV-inspired games have been made. This is about fantasizing good games, though. <laughs> yeah, is that Atlas RPG? It's not based on the show. It's based on the books. Check it out. Um, okay, book series you want to see translated into a game? Uh, the Bible. <laughs> um, we can we can pretend that it was uh, not written by any person, but I'm a big fan of Ender's Game um, mm. and the the Ender's Game series. And I know there's a game kind of like it on on vr that's like the the multiplayer component of lone echo oh, i yeah. think is actually similar but but like the thing in ender's game was that they would have these zero g battles where you would kind of you'd get to shoot at other people but and and you would kind of like paralyze them but also you were trying to get get a person through the other side of the arena and so it was like how can you kind of defend this person while they shoot across in zero gravity. Right. And it was just like, like the rules were specific and written out enough that I feel like it's kind of just right there. Um, and, and maybe you'd require too much coordination for kind of like multiplayer games that are just a bunch of people running around doing their own thing. But it, it was like a really specific game that always seemed really fun. I'm uh, I'm completely out of my depth. Isn't there some... Destiny mode like that? Is it Gambit? Isn't uh, I mean, like, Gambit is like you're kind of collecting, the, you're killing enemies and collecting these things and putting them in a bank oh. and then to summon this giant monster. Well, never mind. There's nothing like it. Good <laughs> good choice, Jacob. <laughs> killing it. Good job out there. Uh, I think for me, this is maybe a little, it feels maybe like reverse engineering because I feel like as I think about it, it does feel like a lot of games have taken from this, but uh, there's a book called The Dictionary of the Khazars. Uh, that is basically like a, it's a, a, literally a dictionary, but it's more like um, it feels like a codex from a video game where it's like the, the way it tells its story is that there are these three separate dictionaries that all define the same turn, the, the same terms, but through the lens of three different cultures. So they'll be like, oh, the, so it's like almost like an encyclopedia sort of where it's like, here's how like the battle of blank or whatever. And in like the, I think it's all based on religion. So it's like in the Jewish dictionary, they give you one viewpoint of like, here's how we've decided to write about this encounter as like, oh, it was like a great victory for us versus like the Christian version of that thing will say, oh, it was like a defeat and it was like disaster, right? So they use these different entries to like to, like give you different perspectives on the same thing wait and, and this is this is based on reality no it's i i it's it's maybe based on a on a real like kind of history but it's like a totally fictional book um so it but it it is it's not like a this happened and then this happened it's just like a series of terms that they just kind of define at length and so i think it'd be interesting to kind of 
maybe mimic that structure where it's just like a series of vignettes where you're seeing the same event from different perspectives. Hmm. Um, but it'd be really weird to figure out how to do that as a game because it's literally just like, here's how this word is defined, here's how this word is defined. Yeah. But I'd like to see someone tackle something like that. Right. I was going to say the Encyclopedia Britannica, personally, so I don't know how they're going to do that either. That's just, have you heard of the game Everything? <laughs> yes, that's true. That. Yeah. Scribble knots. Oh, <laughs> that. Perfect. Uh, Flaming Queso says, hey, howdy, hey, Hanson cohorts, and Mr. Geller. Hello. Uh, let's take a positive angle for just one quick second here. What is something you're really going to miss about life in the current pandemic? For me, it's the complete freedom of working from home and the ability to take breaks from work to enjoy my hobbies in the middle of the workday. That's a very good one. Something you're going to miss about this state for you personally. Yeah, I was surprised how much I liked working from home. And were I still a game informer, I was like, dang, it'll be too bad almost. Like, I miss that office, but... I love working from home, but now, solved it. So maybe take a lesson from that. But I guess with that not being the answer, how much I get to see my girlfriend because she's going to go back to work and then it'll be just me all Look alone. Look at that. What a softy, sweetie guy. What do you like about working from home? Uh, I find it easier to motivate myself than I thought it would. And yeah. it's nice to be like, okay, I know kind of when I'm being productive today and when I'm not and I can kind of lean into it in either case. Yeah, for if sure. That makes sense. Yep. No, I've had the exact same roller coaster around myself where I was really worried about it. And it's like, oh, no, it turns out it's fine. If you're excited about the work, you're excited about the work and you'll you know, work your ass off. Uh, yeah. Not to compare this to your human girlfriends, but getting <laughs> to spend so much time with my dog is really <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure your dog's wonderful. <laughs> Sorry, I'll tell him his dog's wonderful. You have a great dog. <laughs> Thank you. Congrats on the dog, Jacob. <laughs> Hot dog. Great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Dennis luck. M writes in and says, Hello, Ben and crew. Let's play a little game called The Price is Right Video Game Items Edition. Several people have written in with this. I don't think it's the same person every time. And if several people are coming to this idea, they're all geniuses because I always love playing this. Below is a list of eight video game items. The games in which they appear and the currency required to purchase them in the game. The panel has to guess the price of the item in that game. Price is right rules. Whoever gets the closest to the actual price without going over wins the round. Does everybody understand? Yeah. How much yeah. is Fire Materia in Final Fantasy VII Remake? The currency is Gil. Jacob. 700 Gil. Leo. 1,000 Gil. 1,000 Gil. Surreal. I'm going to go 1,200 gil? 1,200 gil. I knew you'd do me like this. <laughs> I'm sorry. The correct answer is 500 gil. Oh. Nobody gets it. You've all overbid. None of you did the, the stinker strategy? Yeah, I was banking oh. on you being a stinker, Surreal. <laughs> okay. Why? How much is... Here we go. Here we go, huge fans. How much is a cinnamon bunny in Undertale? The currency is gold. Jacob. Um, uh, uh, 20 gold. 20 gold. Leo. 50 gold. <laughs> so it's like a thousand. No, I don't well, think anything is you. that expensive. I'm going to say 120 gold. 120 gold. The actual retail price of the Cinnamon Bunny and Undertale... 
20 gold. I'm sorry, 25. Ooh. Sorry, 25. So you're five <laughs> away, Jacob Kelly. Sorry. I got confused looking at the numbers. All right. How much? How That's going to be a big problem if I keep <laughs> I ain't no math major. All right. How much is the skeleton suit in Super Mario Odyssey? The currency is coins. Skeleton suit in Super Mario Odyssey. Can we go in a different order? No, we cannot. I'm sorry. You're lined up this way. The front okay. row of price is right. Uh, the skeleton suit is is 300 coins. Okay. I haven't played it. <laughs> Trust me, if you played it, 150. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go 5,000 coins. 5,000 coins, says <laughs> Surreal. He could have said 301 and got the same I, effect, but this guy plays to win. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it paid off today because the actual retail price is 9,999 coins. <laughs> Way to go, Surreal. It's a me, baby. <laughs> okay, here we go. Leo Vader, this is just for you. One. Okay. How, how much is <laughs> One of whatever. How much is the price of a horse reviver in Red Dead Redemption 2? Uh from the catalog correct god i'm gonna say i'm gonna try and say the exact price just to flex but i might be wrong <laughs> right. 750 i'm sorry you flexed and you look like a jerk the answer is 950 everybody okay, that's well, still embarrassing that's embarrassing okay last one here we go the item <laughs> is still an closer than anyone else <laughs> <laughs> the item is a nintendo switch the game animal crossing new horizons Currency is bells, as we all know. All right, Jacob Geller. Oh, God, I haven't played. I don't even know what ballpark to be in. Um, <laughs> uh, 2,000 bells. 2,000 bells, he says, for a Nintendo What's Switch. A Nintendo Switch. Oh, I see. Oh. Uh, Pretending he doesn't know the answer. 7,000. 7,000 bells. Leo's got a big poster of all the Animal Crossing items. <laughs> yeah, just very specific buy. Cereal? Uh, uh, 20,000 bells. 20,000 bells? Again, this Doesn't everything cost big. a ridiculous amount of thing of uh, bells? Cereal, it paid off. The actual retail price, 29,980 bells for Nintendo Switch. Cereal's the winner here, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. What's an Animal Crossing quote? I got a, uh, I hope it's carpe not a diem shark. or something. Carpe diem, baby. <laughs> I'm fishing for catching fish. Tavius corpus. <laughs> All right, question of the week. What do y'all like? Uh, All right, I, I liked, liked. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I liked the uh, games that were popular locally that you didn't know weren't big otherwise. Yeah. That is good. That is good. Uh, I also liked uh, the uh, literary ambition of Last of Us Part Two. That comparison, I think, is interesting. Uh, the PS4 load times, I think, is a very specific thing that I'm very interested in. Uh, the best PS4 exclusive. Does anybody else have any thoughts? Uh, I do like the literary one, and I like the popular one. I like the gaming tattoo because we got to see Jacob's midriff. That was That's pretty true. cool. That's actually true. Yeah. How often do you see that? That is true. Uh, do a midriff but... reveal on your channel, Jacob. I actually already have. That was my $1,000 Patreon. <laughs> 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 
Do you, nice. When you have a YouTube channel that successful, do you ever feel like you could just release anything and the YouTube algorithm will still pump it to the top? Uh, yeah, but then the next one after that, thumbs down. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, everyone sucks. would stop watching after five seconds and my <laughs> engagement would tank. Oh, boy. All right. Well, you're the guest. Let's go with it. Let's go with uh, Jaime Victor Negron Serrano with the popular games in your schools and neighborhoods that you later Woo-hoo. found out weren't as big as you thought growing up. Thank you so much for writing in. And uh, we'll ship out this awesome copy of Mega Man 2, which actually works. By the way, it's a functioning copy and a bunch of Playdead pins. Thank you so much for writing in, everybody. Again, you can support us on Patreon at any tier and write in in the future. And now it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. Surreal, do you want to lead the charge? Uh, yes. Love I it. would. I'm scrolling to fill time while I look for... Here it is. Uh, so, apparently last week... They added FlickStick controls to the Steam beta. And so what this is, is another way of using a controller to play first-person shooters on the PC. And it's really weird because it's like this weird... So like what it does is it maps the analog stick to 360-degree turning with... And it also uses gyro... Uh, like the gyroscope on your controller to get better aiming on a controller. So it works mostly with the PlayStation 4 controller on your PC. Huh. And so they have like this weird demonstration of Rainbow Six with it, uh, or at least it was in this uh, tweet by Wario64. And so like he's using like the, the combination of the gyro to k- and the analog stick and the way it looks on the screen, it looks like he's using a mouse more so than like a regular analog stick. So it's this really weird thing that I've been wanting to test out since I saw it. And it's because it, it looks super interesting. I like that they're still kind of doing this kind of experimental thing on on with Steam stuff. Yeah. Uh, so if you're looking for a way to play first person shooters uh, on a controller on Steam and want to try out something weird, <laughs> Uh, check out Flickstick controls on Steam Beta. What a weirdo thing. Uh, Leo, did you have something? Yeah. Simple little article here on switcher.gg. Shigeru Miyamoto and other Nintendo directors' salaries are much lower than other industry execs. So just a small little thing, but I thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Do they have numbers? Yeah, they've got public numbers for, you know, these companies release in their annual reports or whatever how much they're paying their top executives. And it's interesting. You've got Shigeru Miyamoto's salary. Does anybody want to guess what it is? Was in it in $20,000. Dollars? <laughs> it's uh, in US dollars oh, here, yeah. Oh, uh, I'm going to go with 170000 Uh, $500,000. A million dollars a year. $1.8 million. Wow. So, I guess don't I don't worry. know how much the other execs are making, so maybe... Ubisoft head dude is making like thirty million dollars a year. We what, the numbers they have here are Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision, yes. making twenty nine million dollars, and Andrew Wilson, CEO of EA, making thirty six million dollars. Compared to Shigeru Miyamoto, Miyamoto yeah. earning one point eight. Obviously, all living very comfortably, but interesting. Such a legend yeah. of the industry is making so much less than these people who it's are almost like not that. After that point, money is meaningless and uh, workers could use it a lot more, but I don't know. Well, I think it also means that Andrew Wilson is 36 times more important than Shigeru Miyamoto, right? Right. And it says here 371 times more important than the average EA employee. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, in retrospect, I guess 170,000 is ridiculously low <laughs> for a legend like that. But also, it's a weird sign that when I hear that, I was like, oh, I met a millionaire. That's cool. Like, like I met me a motive, but like, how many millionaires do you think you've all have met in your life? Wow. I mean, I bet like, bet like some of the, the higher paid professors at my college were probably millionaires. Do you Just think? kind of like small i mean it's like if if you went to a public university their their salaries are public and i know that i took some classes from people making like you know 280 plus a year hey, so it's like you do that for 30 years yeah money yeah i want to know if if you're a millionaire listening to this write in let us know did you have a moment when you like tallied the numbers were you like watching your total does it include assets like when did you have a moment of I'm a millionaire. Or like, you know, is it just like over a quiet meal with your spouse where you realize we're millionaires and you give each other high fives? Like, What is well, that you, moment? You pay for dinner one night and the waiter comes back and hands you your card and says, sir, by the way, you are a millionaire. <laughs> says, I looked up your financial. You, you were a millionaire, but then you paid for this meal and now you're back at 999999. That's right. Yeah. You're also, if you're a millionaire listening to this podcast, please consider donating to our Patreon. <laughs> you know. We call it supporting. Yeah, supporting. <laughs> uh, Jacob. Or just make one t- a one-time support, you know, <laughs> <laughs> of a million dollars if you got it yeah jacob Geller, you got one forget a little of this yes um so so in my position i i watch as a as a person who makes videos i watch a lot of other video essays and and many big channels are good but i ran across a very small channel called quest marker the other day uh and and he had made a video called and this is a kind of complicated title so i'm going to try to get it right um uh, indigeneity, language, and representation. Why Radun Hagedun is so important, which was a a video about Assassin's Creed Three and and its protagonist, who was referred to uh, in the game and by most people writing about it as Connor, uh, yeah. which was his like kind of white name that he was given after being like, oh, you can't use your your Native American name, but it uses it. Kind of, kind of like if you've seen my essays to to like really talk about the broader history of like uh, indigenous uh, representation in media and also kind of like in real life, do you know what what their story has been in in various different places and talks about you know kind of all of the pretty horrible things that have you know happened in Canada specifically. This video focuses on, but it was just like. It was a really, really great, well-produced, well-researched video. And I think at the time making it, the channel had like 400 subscribers. So hmm. um, go go watch that. It's a great video. Yeah, give them the Mega64-esque bump. That's right. Um, hey, get a load of this, everybody. Uh, Destructoid had a story showing off the fact that you can take a Google Maps tour through CD Projekt Red's office in Warsaw, Poland. Which is very cool. So I don't think it shows like the development floor specifically, but it's still a lot of like public space. And you just want to like navigate the hallways of CD Projekt Red, see their kitchen, see the mocap area. I'm just a fan of development studios in general. Having visited so many, it's cool that everybody can just go in and see like, hey, this is this is the space where they're making Cyberpunk 2077 right now. Um, and it reminded me too, one of the coolest things that I didn't talk about, was it last week, two weeks ago? I guess it was last week with Half-Life Alex and the final hours of Half-Life Alex, that Steam game experience from Jeff Keighley, um, is they have this amazing thing where it's an isometric view of Valve 
uh, of the entire studio. So you can just like click around and look at everybody's desk and like how that floor is actually laid out. It's just like the perfect, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, fix for like, oh, that black box of Val, what's going on in there? It's like, hey, here's like the most thorough interactive map you could ever ask for for an office. Here's exactly what's going on at Valve. And it's a really cool idea. You can go to Valve's front desk in a virtual reality. In Steam VR, you can go. Oh, really? Walk you can go like to Valve's front rooms. desk in real life too, but then they'll just ask you to leave. Probably eventually, yeah. yeah also, do whatever you want there in VR. <laughs> it's just between you and God. <laughs> uh, for the community, to get a little of this pulled from the Discord channel. Uh, Manic T, not Maniac T, uh, submitted uh, an article from IGN, which is interesting, Cyril. I'm curious, curious to hear your take on it. Um, in this. Or the article on IGN, uh, they say in an interview with VGC, Nintendo veteran Kensuke Tanabe was asked about the process behind designing new villains for a franchise full of iconic antagonists for Paper Mario, the Origami King, characters like Bowser and Kamek. In response, Tanabe noted that since Paper Mario Sticker Star, it's no longer possible to modify Mario characters or to create originals original characters that touch on the Mario universe. We need to create original characters with designs that don't involve the Mario universe at all, like we've done with Ollie and the stationary bosses. Yeah, that's definitely, like, you can definitely notice that, because, I, I, like, you're kind of, like, the one or two companions that kind of are with you for most of the game are, like, it's just, like, a bob and a Toad. Yeah. And so, like, that that part i mean there are other partners and stuff and it's like characters you've met before um but there's definitely like this feeling of it's not as cool to see like someone like goombella or you know like uh, i forget the name but like the the yoshi with the red hair basically right you definitely feel that part of it and like i think partners in general maybe like the weakest aspect of origami king because they're not really involved in combat um and so it does feel like this is mario's journey and he's just kind of reacting as like someone who doesn't speak to the things happening to him yeah it's just weird uh, thinking so about you, like that awada ass where they talked about i think before the messaging was miyamoto asked the team like hey could you make it uh, an rpg but don't create any new characters and so that's why there were so many toads and stuff but now it seems like the messaging since sticker star it's interesting in this interview to have a different take on it just that idea of yeah you have to create entirely new ones you can't keep modifying right, so, the old ones so like ollie is like a character that is is like this totally original thing doesn't yeah isn't like a koopa or anything and then you have the the velamentals which are the bosses and stuff so they can't do like a here's you know like a, a, a some other bowser right like some like bowser's brother or whatever they can't really do anything yes. like that which i i would be very curious to see what the reasoning behind that is because it doesn't make any sense to me why why they would limit themselves why? that way is because it, they want to keep it tight they don't want these characters to completely spin out of control we don't need a wario and a waluigi we don't want more examples <laughs> of that disaster right because eventually <laughs> you're going to get wa peach you're going down the road of that delinquency so sailed on that just let it all go. Just make freaky characters. <laughs> Is it characters. internally canon with itself already? Well, they they no. killed Bowsette, right? So she doesn't exist anymore. You can't even Google it. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. They destroyed all remnants <laughs> of Bowsette. Your computer blows up. <laughs> yeah, when you exactly. try typing the E, it won't let you if you type in Bowsette without the E. That's exactly it. Uh, thank you for listening or watching uh, this gigantic episode of the MinMax Show. Uh, Jacob, is there anything you would like to plug, sir? Sure. I'm just Jacob Geller everywhere. So on YouTube and on Twitter. Uh, go follow me in both those places. What is your next essay on? Uh, ooh, exclusive Half-Life Alex and Florence. Really? Nice. Mm. Yeah. I get uh, it. Great taste. And some other stuff. I know oh. where you're going with that, and I get it. <laughs> Easy. <laughs>
Leo, quick, make that video before he does, then we'll get a million views. <laughs> These games both have women in it. <laughs> Bam! Do you like it? Uh, hey, thank you to everybody that supports us on Patreon. Wonderful folks at the $50 tier, like I am 8-Bit, Bambox, Beaten Down Brian, Zachary Pelleggi, Rebecca Lang, Mercury Rico Torreno, Brian with a Y, Jawar Hello, Mark Seliga, Andrew Valla, Jesse Vitelli, Ian T. Clark, JT Fells, Andrew Sanford, Ludwig Roque, Matthew Paxson, Steve Bamdead, Time Bomb Tom, Josh Elliott, Yarrow, Tyler Carver, Captain Subs 1, Michael Jakes, and Midnight Satire. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go! Let's go!